It's the show! Uh, this is... I'm Lauren O'Brien. This is Black Sheep and Bad Apples. Uh, uh, another uh, episode for you guys. This is... What is it? Season 6, episode 8 now, I believe. And uh, you can find us all on Spotify and all that. We've got a very fun episode tonight about some racist gun laws. But before we get too far into that, I want to go ahead and, uh, and uh, introduce uh, our, our co-host and guest. Uh, as you guys know, Mr. Sean is here. Mr. Sean Hill. Oh, yeah. To, okay. to produce it and make sure that I'm doing a decent job oh. what I do. <clears throat> and uh, since we are without a Sam, um, we want to say, Sam, we miss you. Um, but we do have a Alex on the show tonight. How you doing, Alex? I'm pretty good, man. How are you guys doing? Yeah, doing good, baby. Mm-hmm. Doing good. Mm-hmm. So how, how, are you, how, how are you guys feeling? I'm feeling, feeling pretty good. I'm feeling great. I'm feeling great, actually. Been a good day so far. I'm doing all right. It is bicycle day. It's bicycle day today, indeed. So, since it is bicycle day, what do you guys do? You guys have any special plans for for it, or are we just doing a podcast? What do you What are you guys up to in the next next couple days? Uh, Definitely going to play some music. Mm -hmm. Because tomorrow's four twenty. Ride the bicycle um, a little bit. Maybe maybe do a little little, little, little window, I, uh, window that's, pane. That's ride the bicycle. I don't. I don't. I'm I'm bad at drug metaphors. Not trying to just I think say that's what it we're completely doing. outright. I think wait, the guests get drugs. No, we just no. no. But as you guys know at home, this is the show where I write a uh, script uh, very soberly, and we uh, talk about it in various states of inebriation. Um, so it could be that I'm on acid. Nobody knows. Sorry, bicycle. Um, but yeah, so what do you guys know about uh, racist gun laws? Do you guys know where California got any of their their gun laws? Um, I'm going to say based on what you said, probably not from colored people. I don't... Interesting perspective because it actually does kind of come from people who who aren't white. But we're going to get well, into that I, a little I, bit more. I guess maybe the laws being made oh yes the laws are definitely not made by people that's not like it's a, you said racist gun laws Mexican, so i'm assuming a bunch of yeah. white people made some gun laws it's kind of what it sounds like yeah definitely and so alex uh, do you have any thoughts on on uh, racist gun laws which we're going to be talking about tonight do you know anything about them i mean you know a few youtube documentaries if you want to call them documentaries here and there yeah. a few articles on facebook that i read halfway into but I mean, it seems like you have like something close to a five hundred word essay on it. So it's a five and a half thousand word essay. On oh, it. okay. Sorry, five yeah. and a half thousand word essay on yeah. it. Yeah. So yes. I think I'm gonna learn a little bit more. We're gonna learn a little bit more. And so without any further ado, let's just kind of jump into my script. So gun laws in California are noted to be extremely restrictive. It's considered like a bastion of liberals and their their menacing creep towards gun confiscation. Um, and in light of the current and also subsequent and also prior conversations that occur after mass shootings, I wanted to kind of see how California became noto- like the notorious state for restrictive guns. So the interesting thing about this was I was writing this right after like the the um, the attacks on Asian Americans and and there's been like a lot of like last week I spent all week just kind of looking into guns and and gun crimes and stuff like that. But within the last five days, there or four days rather, there have been eight shootings. So it makes this story particularly more more pertinent. 
And, uh, and indeed, California is uh, kind of a confusing place for guns. and Wait, the laws uh, that... shootings in California or the United States? In the United States, okay. yeah. And so, so like, we have, have a lot of uh, conversations that come up about gun control and stuff like that after all these shootings. And what but as you... we'll kind of get into, there's never really a whole lot done. And what do you mean by shootings? As far as, like, I'm sure there's more than two shootings a day in yes. the United States. Yes. But what do you mean specifically by, sh- uh, air quote, shootings? So it... A, a mass shooting, it depends upon where you get your um, your definition from, but the general understanding of what a, quote, mass shooting is, is four people shot in a single incident. Oh, okay, you're and talking more of a, like, somebody walked in somewhere and started shooting people up, yes. shooting. Gotcha, yes. okay, okay. Because obviously shootings happen every day, people oh, discharge that? guns into, into to plants and wildlife and targets every day. We're not talking about those, we're talking about... People getting shot yeah, in the I was, streets. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. I was like, I'm Headlines. pretty sure right up the street here, there's been like three shootings last week. Oh, or something. yes. Heath <laughs> yeah, yeah. right. has been kind of a wild place in that regard. And so, again, California is a kind of confusing place for guns and the laws that surround the legality of owning and possessing these guns. And while it may be confusing, I, I want to point all of our all of our listeners and you guys here. Uh, like you guys can find various places online to find uh, weapons laws and people that will say that they're they're the legal experts and stuff. Um, but the the source that I found that I would recommend to anybody who's curious about getting getting you know weapons in regards to the United States um, would be I, I found a document written by the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms. It ca- it covers California gun state laws, which are different than other states. And so, going ahead with this podcast, I would just like everybody listening at home to note that we're not. This isn't going to be comprehensive. This is going to be about how gun laws happen in California, and that if you are really curious about what your legal rights are for owning guns, go ahead and look at the uh, the, the alcohol, tobacco, and firearms. Uh, that their little web page. Um, and again, as I said, this isn't going to be a comprehensive story about the legality of owning or possessing uh, like uh, weapons in California. The story is going to be more about the progression of that and how racist it was. And so uh, we're not. I'm not going to be here to describing how you can own gun laws. I'm not here to be a loyal or, or rather a legal arbiter. We're just going to be telling a fun story tonight. And uh, I want to note that gun laws are so confusing that. Even the law firm KW Law, which is is very interested, kwlaw.com, very oriented towards California law, they say this on their website, quote, weapon laws can be confusing in California. (laughs) Certain weapons are considered legal under California law, while some weapons become illegal with modifications are made, uh, such as like increasing the magazine uh, capacity or changing the ammunition type. However, there is a class of weapon that are always prohibited under California law. These weapons are known as generally prohibited weapons, are illegal to manufacture, sell, possess, or, or possess in California. And so these things include like a ballistic knife, the, 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 the cane and the sword is one of the things, or a sword, a sword and the cane is one of the things that I found under prohibited weapons. Like it's kind of a silly thing to look at when you look at some of these these You're laws. Not allowed to have a cane with a sword in it. Not in California because it is technically a concealed weapon, which is where we're, which is what we're getting into tonight. That's is like that... the coolest old man weapon there is, and you can't do that in California. You can't do it's it in more California. Or less just a knife and a sheath. Yeah, it's uh, it's, it's uh, like yeah, just a big knife and a sheath. It's yeah. A... And so, in order to well, it's technically a sword, a sword in a cane, it's a sword in a sheath. Which they generally always are. That's and a good question, though, because like, does a does a katana in its sheath become a so like, concealed weapon because it's can you wear it? In a the sheath? only thing I would say that would make, I would 
how to maybe make it concealed is that like a katana or a knife has a handle that you can tell is a knife or sword handle. Yeah. Where a cane, you're kind of uh, you don't quite know it's a sword, if that makes sense. You you look at it and you're like, oh, that old man's just got a cane, and then he's like, shing, and you're like, I was caught off guard. Well, and we're gonna get into why that's such a big deal because uh, yeah. Uh, tonight we're specifically talking about concealed carry uh, laws in California. And so even the California gun law, like the, the people who know the law the best here in California are like, bro, it's confusing as shit. So, uh, uh, so in order to kind of discuss these racist gun laws here in California, we need to discuss the laws that led up to some of these things. And so we're going to be going back in time just a little bit here. And see, the first gun law in the United States came on December 15th, 1791, with the Ten Amendments to the U.S. Constitution, and when they were ratified. The Second Amendment detailed this, quote, A well-regulated militia being necessary to secure the, uh, the security of a free state, the right of the people uh, to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. So that's the first gun law in the United States. And it doesn't quite apply to California because that hasn't been a state yet. But we're, we're going to get into that a little bit. And this is, again, this was like 60 years before the United States officially recognized the state of California, which happened in 1850. And you'll notice that that date is immediately after the discovery of the gold rush. <laughs> so during this time, San Francisco was a very strange place. If you had sailed into the bay in the 1850s, you would have found a bay littered with abandoned uh, square-rigged boats. These boats were left by those that went off hunting for gold. Specifically, they were abandoned because the gold hunters had no use for them once they had arrived in California. And in 1848, San Francisco had a population, uh, and it depends upon like, the sources that you're looking at, but between 500 and 1,000 people. So it's a really small place, like hmm. half the size of Hayfork at, at the very biggest. Um, and after the discovery of gold at Sutter's Mill, word got out and people just, they hauled as fast of ass as they could to California as they could. And by 1850, there's a, there was around 30,000 people living in San Francisco. So in two years, it went from about a thousand people at the, at the topmost, uh, like the topmost understanding of how many people live there. It went from a thousand to 30,000. It literally just times itself by 30. And so this, this, this town of San Francisco is growing very quickly and it is, it is becoming almost out of control. Um, and by, uh, uh, the swampy land was built upon and they sometimes used wood off the abandoned boats to build because it, you know, it was again, kind of swampy. And I found a write up from a WordPress site called stories from American history that does a really good job of kind of, uh, describing San Francisco in this era. And we're going to quote from that quote, the buildings were connected by swampy dirt roads and hastily constructed sidewalks made of flour sacks, old stoves, tobacco boxes, and in one instance, a grand piano. Hmm. <laughs> But by 1853, the shantytown was one of the biggest cities in the nation with 46 gambling halls, 144 taverns, and 537 places that sold liquor. So this is the Wild West. Uh, continuing the quote, uh, Rowdy young men roamed the streets looking to spend their gold as fast as they found it. Fortunes were made by those who sold goods and services to the miners. Eggs went for a dollar apiece. A pound of butter went for $6, a pair of boots for 100 Many of the newly rich moved directly from shacks into mansions. 92% of the population were men between 15 and 44 years of age. 
<laughs> so again, 92%. Uh, and the mere rumor of a female arriving in town could cause the saloons to empty and a crowd to gather at the docks. With only one woman to every dozen men, brothels flourished. The going rate was $100 at night, roughly the price of a house. Damn, dude. <laughs> so, so you want to buy a house or do you want to get laid? Yeah, it's and, up to you. And we're, we're, I'm going to continue the quote here in a second, but we're setting the stage for gun laws in yeah. California right now. <laughs> yeah, first thing I would have done was get some guns. Like, yeah, I mean, I'd be robbing brothels. I mean, <laughs> you, know you mean? had yeah. guns in this yeah. time. There's no gun laws. Like, yeah. what are they going to do? You know. Yeah. <laughs> And so, again, continuing this quote, uh, violence in the city was rampant. Although a police system was put in place, disputes over land were most often settled by force. Mob rule prevailed, and the vigilante, and vigilante groups defined public authority. Intimid, uh, rather, vigilante groups defied public authority, intimidating or even abducting and imprisoning those fool enough, foolish enough to serve as public officials. The murder rate hovered at around five murders every six days and was a particularly dangerous place for new arrivals from Australia. Viewed by the locals as rabble from a penal colony, they were often accused of crimes and hanged without the benefit of trial. So, again, this was like the Wild West area and gun laws aren't really a thing. And in fact, dueling had become like quite this fashionable thing between like 1750 and 1850 when we're talking about like the Wild West cowboy days. Like that was when dueling was really a fucking big thing. Oh, God. And, and so at this time, people just regularly walked around with their guns. Like, nobody thought twice of it. It's the Wild West. People are coming over. Like, the Donner Pass people haven't... Th this hasn't even happened yet. If, actually, it might have happened yet. I think it was 54, so it might not have happened yet. But still, like, it's the Wild West. It's, it's this prairie. Um, and, uh, yeah, people just walked around regularly with their guns. And the revolver had just become a thing in the 1850, or in the 1850. Oh, my God. Yeah, that, that it wasn't. I was thinking like it was already around like a hundred years before. Yeah, no, damn. no, it, it was brand new. People, yeah. yeah, people, people were like, "You got six of them bullets, damn, buddy! I ain't gonna shoot you." <laughs> yeah, yeah, dude. Yeah, fucking revolvers just came around. That's, yeah, I didn't yeah. even think about that before. And you were using muskets and little one shots. Typically. Yeah, yeah, typically. Yeah, it was it was mostly like black powder or like muskets or or flintlocks even. Um, and it, it, you know, if you were p more poor, flintlocks were more likely that, for you to have because, yeah. you know, but revolver is pretty expensive at this time. Um, and the, so the Colt revolver, it was specifically pretty, the Colt. Yeah. That was invented in 1835. Yes. So, and so it's becoming popularized now. Not, not even 20 years before this was like the invention of the Colt revolver. Yes. And then <laughs> you got to imagine that was also made in, uh, I think, Rhode Island is where that was, where the Colt family is from. Yeah, I don't know and, enough, but I think you're right. Yeah, no, my buddy lives in Rhode Island. There's like Colt State Park and the Colt House and yeah. this and that where they all kind of spent, at least resided and stuff like that. So it's all from East Coast that had to make it to California. Yes. So, like a Colt 45 or a, you know, whatever and stuff maybe more popular for like somebody in the East coast that yeah. is like, look at my fancy gun. And they got it in like a glass case and it's just well, and what cool, we're like 70 years after the, the American revolution. So it's like, of course the East coast is going to be stockpiling weapons. They're like, England's going to be coming back. This, yeah. You know? Yeah. Dude, that's, I mean, yeah, you think about all the industry or the majority of the industries out East. So like you were saying, it takes time to make it out West. And then yeah. it does, it's already, Mob rule, Australians being hanged, and all kind of yeah. crazy shits already going on. Yeah, that, not just Australians, but we're gonna get into yeah, that a yeah, little bit yeah. too. <laughs> yeah, and so uh, it was around this time that true shotguns had also become a thing. 
And they were like more widely used for birds, but obviously it's the Wild West, so plenty of people died from shotgun shells. Like it's it's just how the Wild West was. And and you know while, while we do see these these new guns emerging, there is a type of gun owner that we see today that still existed back then. Like the the the, the gun owners have never changed. And uh, and so in December of 1852, George Norton complained to the local newspaper. He had alleged that sportsmen, in air quotes, were turning their guns on bushes and trees and firing wildly throughout San Francisco, wildly throughout San Francisco, making it a game to hunt birds. Now, what is described as hunting birds may not have been hunting. Uh, you know, this is the wild, drunken West, of course. So I'm sure it was more of a like, let's shoot this flying target. We're gonna sword. go down to the park. Let's see if we can get us some dinner. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> so, yeah. Kids play there. <laughs> Yeah, and so I found an interesting master's thesis uh, called Control of Violence, Control of Fear, the Progression of Gun Control in San Francisco from 1847 until 1923. And this was written by a Jocelyn Perry Huerta. And it was published in 2015. And this thesis, thesis kind of describes the experience that George Norton and a lot of, uh, a lot of San Francisco Franciscans went through at the time. And, uh, and this is kind of depicted by the Daily Alta California newspaper at the time. Quote, Shots were fired without cautions, and stray bullets and uh, stray bullets had struck both Norton and his daughter. Concerned citizens felt unsafe outside in fear for the lives of their children as they returned from school. San Francisco had banned the discharge of firearms within the city, and while the source of fear would evolve, anxieties such as those expressed by George Norton were common throughout the 19th century and inspired waves of reform. And so... <clears throat> This is the this is the type of gun guy I'm talking about. The guy that's just like wildly blasting and like you know that there's there's go you know, go ahead, Alex. No, yeah, no. I mean, I see. Like it's funny. Is like I'm sitting here thinking how anti I am about most gun control laws, but the scenario you're setting a long time ago. I mean, if I wasn't actually out there doing the robbing or being one of those assholes myself, I'd be like, man, this is freaky. We need to control these fools. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like we need to do something. Yeah, and it's like my daughter got shot. Yeah, like somebody has to do something, and that's kind of like we're gonna get into it more as we talk about this. But that's kind of where the root of like the San Francisco and like the liberalism with the gun control laws comes from. Is like this dude's daughter was shot in the street by a straight bullet while people were just yeah. drunkenly discharging them yeah, into I'd, the woods. I would be so pissed. I'd be like, "What is wrong with you people?" <laughs> Obviously, no firing guns in the city. <laughs> no. Exactly. You know, like, but then at this point where we live now, I'm like, well, I mean, if, as long as you're like, you know, a certain amount of distance away from some neighbors, yeah, just fire your guns around on your own property. Yeah. Technically close enough or in the city. Well, and, so it's like, fuck. And it's, it, so this is like a hundred and, I don't know, I'm just going to guess 180 years before where we live now. Yeah. And so it's understandable that like, and the way we look at guns now, if you're shooting down range and you're not in a gun range. The, the one thing you focus on is, one, where your gun's pointing, but two, what's behind your target. Yeah. And I, I think that these people at the time didn't really understand that. They, they were just kind of like, oh, this gun's meant for, like, shooting birds and, and people. <laughs> yeah. like, it's, yeah. it's, a, it's, a, it's like a shovel, but for specifically people, not for digging holes. Yeah, you know? okay. It's any other tool, you know. And so, uh, and so there, there is these kinds of, kinds of guys in this world, and, and, like, they love guns, and they use them, and... and you really want to support them, but they use them wildly and super inappropriately. Mm. And, uh, and so Huerta also writes in, in, her, her, um, in her thesis so this, quote, Passive manliness assumed that in the society uh, established in San Francisco, it was unnecessary to carry firearms. And for this reason, regulation was also unneeded. Kind of makes sense. Like, you don't, 
you don't really need to carry a gun, and if nobody's carrying guns, why fucking legislate it? And uh, so, uh, continuing to quote, passive, passive men would not carry weapons, especially concealed weapons, which is important for later. In contrast, defensive men believed in the right and responsibility to bear arms for self-defense, but were also convinced of the need for regulation to control irrational violence by banning concealed weapons. So they wanted to hide... They... So, like, yeah, if you want to carry it, just carry it out where we can see it. Yeah. Like, whatever. I don't think you really even need to carry a gun, but there's no need to hide it in that, so... Yeah, and so so here we have two types of men that aren't the types of dudes I was talking about. We've got the, the passive men who are like, I don't, I don't really need a gun... Like, we don't really need gun laws for the reason that I don't really need a gun. And we've got people who are, like, really pro-guns, but they're like, you don't really need to carry it, like, hidden. Like, what are you doing trying to sneak around? Like, we're trying to make people know that we're dangerous. I I mean, it, it kind of in that setting, it kind of makes sense because it's like, get people familiar with it. You're not going to do anything sneaky. It's showing. It might cause a drunkard to have a little bit more respect if he doesn't have a gun on him. But like, I just keep wanting to compare it to today's standards when I'm like, I'd actually prefer your gun to be concealed the whole time instead of walking around with it on your side. Yeah, mm. and like, that's not something we're going to touch on tonight yeah, yeah, in regards yeah. to like, my opinions on it. Because, like, I don't know. I honestly don't really care whether it's concealed or not. I don't like to know when somebody has a gun because I think guns are really cool and I like to talk about calibers and types of guns. Like, I'm not super well-versed in guns, but I'm a very big gun aficionado and... So it's like I, like, I don't really know where I stand with the concealed versus non-concealed guns, but I think what, the, what they're trying to say here is like, if you're hiding a gun, you're obviously up to something. And so like, I kind of get what they're saying. And, and I don't know how we would apply that to today's you know, standards of things, you know, what, with all the like, school shootings and yeah, stuff. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's... Uh, al well, already, <clears throat> this is the 1854 things are fucking complicated when it comes to guns. And so it's never been a simple issue. And that's kind of what, I, what I'm trying to, trying to work up to. And, uh, and so obviously, since the state of... Uh, since San Francisco, rather, by itself was like, I don't want my daughter being shot on the way back to school. They started, like, thinking about gun laws. And, and San Francisco, in particular, at this time, was really focused on how we could make the town more safe. And so in 1863, uh, this is about, you know, 13 years after it became an official state, a concealed carry ban went into effect in California, and this was mostly just like San Francisco and L.A. at the time. Now, this is the first gun law that's ever come in, into California's legislature, and this is in 1863. And again, since it was Wild West times, like, nobody really gave a shit. Like, people just... The, 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 like people at this time were literally kidnapping and murdering sheriffs. Like, they, they what didn't are you going to do? Arrest me? Yeah, exactly. And so the weapons ban was, you know, it was actually a concealed weapons ban. Um, you know, which hid uh, hid like weapons and stuff, and like daggers and like the canes and swords, as I was, or swords and canes, as I was saying. Um, and the cops would like kind of try to arrest people for illegal weapons, but everybody just kind of mostly went along and did what they wanted. And, you know, as shit was still, like, it, shit was still very wild even after the ban. Um, hey, you can't do that. Yeah, okay. You gonna try to stop me? Go ahead. And? And? And I like the fact that they're, they, they probably spoke more like this, but we're giving them the southern accent because we're <laughs> xenophobic. And so, yeah, uh, even after the ban, shit was wild. In fact, one quote from a newspaper reads at the time, quote, 
The Pioneer Cemeteries of California today can show far more mounds of men killed in the heat of passion by stabbing, shooting, and cutting than of graves of those who have died from natural causes. Yeah, it's... So people were just drunk and wild and angry and shooting each other for absolutely any reason that they can find at this time. I mean, I guess California was the real Wild West because you hear these other documentaries. It's like a lot of these other states, a lot of times a lot more calm and... San Francisco was scary. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. Like, yeah, San Francisco. Well, and and we're talking specifically about California and San Francisco, the metropolitan area now. Yeah. Um, but I didn't really talk a whole lot about all the shit that happened throughout California in this episode, which is argue. No, it, it is not arguably. It is very much worse than that. You know, there is so many like slaughters and murders and genocides going on at this time. That, like when we look at gun control in in specifically California, which again at this point is just San Francisco and L.A a lot of this shit doesn't apply to the rest of California. Like, you're not going to get caught by some deputy out in, like, the Donner Pass area and some sheriff being like, hey, you can't carry that six-shooter uh, hidden around. Like, the cops just aren't like that at this time, you know? And, uh, and so while the first round of concealed carry bans, they didn't go very well, it was kind of more of a push towards the entire region, like, kind of just getting them to chill the fuck out. And San Francisco especially had set its eyes on what it wanted to be. They wanted the future of the town to be less violent, more peaceful, and serene. Like, they, they just they didn't want their kids being shot in the streets. Like, pretty, pretty easy. Yeah. Sounds it's reasonable. reasonable. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think anybody's arguing yeah, against yeah. that. No, no, it's like, yeah. I mean, if it's really on those levels, I mean, it's like, mm. these are like the movies we hear about, you know? Yeah. People lived it. Yes. <laughs> Well, and, and that's the funny thing for me is like reading, doing this episode really like brought to light like some of the bullshit that happened in like the Wild West movies. For instance, I think that there's only like two to maybe five entire duels, like the the we draw at high noon kind of duels. There's only like, I, I want to say two, but it could be as much as five duels that ever happened in, in the Wild West that were documented. There's only five of those, but we portray them as happening all the fucking time in these Western movies, which I think is... Just silly and dumb. And uh, and so, like, the, the gun laws that had gone into effect were repealed just seven years later. And, uh, you know, the, these laws didn't really do much because they were ineffective and toothless. But the discussion of, of guns never really left San Francisco and California. Now, another reason gun the gun conversation never left California was racism. As mentioned, San Francisco was one of the major ports that potential gold, gold miners would enter as their first stop towards their riches. And this meant a lot of potential gold miners stopped here, and, and you know, this included Chinese people. And it also included, like, natives and Mexicans at the time, but specifically what we're going to talk about is just the, the Chinese, because it's very important for what we're going to get into. And the, the Chinese immigrants had began arriving in the mid-1800s, so about 1850, a couple of years after we had discovered gold. And some of these would enter into California to work in the mines, others to work as farmhands, still more would work on the railroads, and some just stayed in San Francisco and, and L.A. to work in, like, the garment industry, for an example. And as the city by the bay began exploding in population, a region of this city became known as Chinatown. 
and immigrants have always suffered when it comes to to entering new lands and 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 the chinese immigrants you know as they would land on american soil almost all of the poor chinese immigrants um they would have to they, they would be forced into looking for work at this time their desperate life at home had forced many to take loans from chinese american merchants these passages were sometimes sponsored by these merchants which meant that there was a debt to pay as soon as their feet touched the ground back in the united states so it's already pretty bad for these guys. Yeah. You get here, you're in debt for a certain percentage of them, and I'm pretty sure the pay's not too good. Yeah. It is not. three times longer than you <laughs> yeah. have to to get it paid off. Yeah, and, and to add more to, to like their financial stress, the reason for them having left was probably political or economic or both. In any case, there was usually a family back home that meant the new Chinese immigrant needed, needed not only to worry about the, the resources that they needed to survive, to work, but they also had to send money back to their family. And this, coupled with the immediate debt that they were put into via like the, the merchant sponsorship, forced a lot of Chinese immigrants of the day into unsavory circumstances. But their unsavory circumstances were also found in some of the work that they took on. They would typically work longer hours for a reduced wage with fewer days off. So when they came here, they were looking for money. And these guys were like, well, you want to work harder for less than these other guys? They were like, yeah. Whatever I can do to, to pay my debt back. Oh, it's really sad. Yeah, it's completely sad. I mean, that's, I mean, that's the routine with all cultures and civilizations, like you were saying, when they come to a new land. But, I mean, you get over here, you're in debt. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? The, the low wage. I just, yeah, it's, it's going to create. Like, I'm pretty desperate. They're like, and we can help you. I can help yeah. you out. Yeah, it's going to create desperation, and you're going to be willing to take whatever's offered immediately. Yeah. Tell you what, you help me harvest a thousand pounds of cattle, I'll give you half a pound for free. Yeah, that, that was kind of that was kind of how it was. Where most people would, you know, I don't know the actual ratio, but if most white people, I'm imagining, if they harvested a thousand pounds of cattle, they'd get probably six pounds of meat. Significantly more, still not enough, in my opinion. Um, and and so they, you know, they they worked longer hours. They had like less wages and they, they worked for, for fewer days off. And uh, during this time, Chinese American criminals, perhaps even described as organized crime, began kind of popping up in the city. And th this, this isn't just like, not just Chinese people are doing this. Everybody's doing it, this at the time. Um, but these newspapers at the time are really focused on the Chinese immigrants because they're bad people, according to you know, yeah. 1850s time. Because, like, even in the 1850s, like, the most woke person still hated Jewish people. So it's like, it's it, it's kind of a gamble, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And uh, and again, like, the, the white newspapers just really wanted to focus on the Chinese people because, you know, Andrew Jackson and, and all well, this. Well, that was a large amount of the um, immigration that was coming in on the West Coast because all the Asian yeah. countries are able to buy a boat come to California where you're not you going to, you know, you're getting all the European countries coming into the East Coast yeah. and all this type of stuff. So you, predominantly, that's pretty much what your, your immigrant uh, nationalism is, is Chinese, maybe Japanese, yeah. you know, type of deal and stuff because that's what's what's there. They're just, take a yeah. boat over. So they're seeing, they're like, holy shit, all these Chinese. I heard there's gold. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, but even like we were saying with the newspapers, even if their intents weren't even nefarious, it was like sensationalism. You know what I mean? It's like, this is yeah. what's going on. We're going to pick, we're going to talk really bad because that's what gets people going. Yeah. You know, yeah. which is, that's bad in itself. But it, 
it may not have even been rooted in true hatred. Just you know, this is what makes money. I don't give a fuck about anyone else. But probably both. Why? You know. Yeah. Well, and you bring up a good point because I don't think a lot of it. I, well, obviously, a lot had to do with white people being racist. Mm. But I think a big part of it. Uh, uh, as well was that like this is a fledgling nation. We've only been a nation for seventy ish years at the moment now, and if if you want to keep your nation your nation's boundaries strong, you create this thing called nationalism, which means that I'm first or second generation here, and I am I am the true American. You have to work to earn your thing, yeah. which we're gonna get into because Americans didn't like Chinese people working very much here. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, I mean. Like hard labor work, yeah. You want to help, you know. Well, even hit then, nails in the railroad. Maybe we'll let you for maybe. really small pay, and but also good. And don't come in through the English. front door. Come yeah. in through the back door. Don't walk down our sidewalk. Just show up. Don't say shit. I won't bitch any more than you know. Yeah. Well, and, and a lot of it too is like, is like. You know, like the Irish were coming over uh, about 30 years after this, you know, and it it seems that the Americans, you know, the the European Americans, if you will, they've always just had this streak in them where it's like, this is our fucking land and you got to prove yourself. And then, you know, foreign people come here to prove themselves and they're like, well, you're not good enough. I think you guys are just like raping and pillaging everything. And it's it's kind of a a theme that you see throughout any, any kind of group of refugees or people who are seeking asylum or anything like that you know it's always like you know this blank group of people are here to rape our women and steal our jobs and it's like this recurring yeah. thing that, you, that we've Me, been seeking our jobs meanwhile yeah. that's exactly what we did when we came to america that's exactly what we did well not for nothing the native americans didn't have a lot of what we would describe as jobs here so we didn't steal any of theirs we just stole Everything we create, we created the jobs. First of all, our ancestors <laughs> got rid of the word steal and called it manifest destiny. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know what y'all are talking about. <laughs> steal nothing. We didn't steal nothing. We found the shit. Yeah. We came here, it was meant to made happen. you opportunity. <laughs> I so, didn't see any castles. Did you? <laughs> so yeah, uh, uh, you know the, this organized crime and and just general racism really put chinese immigrants in the crosshairs and they were looked at as you know this the they were looked at by the first and second generation second uh, first and second gener- generation immigrants as second class citizens stealing jobs and this was because the chinese immigrants would be forced to work for more or less like that they, they 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 weren't they they didn't get to pick their jobs. They didn't get to pick their wages. So it's like whatever job that they could land was the one that they picked. Going trend. Yeah. Going trend, yes. And even the people who hired them saw them as just shitty idiots. And and and, and like they, they saw them as second class citizens, if that. They saw them as you know, this is kind of right before like the you know, slavery is has been abolished. So they see them as like you're not quite a slave, but you ain't free. You ain't like me, because I'm white. And uh, again, most of them were seen as foreign crimin- criminals. And this is where people get, began to discuss the Chinese question. Now, I've discussed it before, but the blank question has always been rooted in racism. Whether it's the Jewish question, the native question, or any other question that you have about a group of people, it's never been a, a question. It's always been about how to eradicate these people. And so... Ulysses S. Grant, in his State of the Union address, spoke specifically about the Chinese question, saying, in part, quote, 
Great, the great proportion of Chinese immigrants who come onto our shores do not come voluntarily to make their homes with us and their labor productive of general prosperity, <clears throat> but come under contracts with headmen who own them almost absolutely. <clears throat> Which, as we discussed, could have been like... It, he's kind of right here, but it's, it's a lot of... He, he's making it seem like there's a, a mafia boss bringing people over, which is probably like kind of the truth, but it's struggling people accurate. coming to support their family. They don't give a fuck who they're working for or who brought them over. And so it's, uh, uh, yeah, Ulysses S. Grant, the uh, the general of the Union. Uh, I never not, heard anything about that. Though. Yeah, no, not, a, not, a, not a very racially uh, progressive dude. Um, and a year, a year before that, Grant also made a speech at the seventh annual message to the United States Senate and House of Representatives. Uh, and he started, you know, he starts off here talking about another issue, but I'm going to quote him here. Quote, while this is being done, I invite the attention of Congress to another, though perhaps no less of an evil, the, import the importation of Chinese women, <laughs> but few of whom are brought to our shores to pursue honorable or useful occupations. <laughs> huh. Yeah, <laughs> <See>? honorable. <laughs> Yeah, if we know what he's talking about. <laughs> do, 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 you guys, do you guys know what he's talking about? Yeah. 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 And, and see, Chinese women were seen as coming to the, the United States to become prostitutes because, you know, it's the late 1800s. And even the most woke people of, of this time are still incredibly racist. <clears throat> and so while men were coming to steal work um, with their cheap la labor, um, the author of the Page Act, Horace F. Page, a California Republican, said that the law was to help quote, end the danger of cheap Chinese labor and immoral Chinese women. So we're getting into the Page Act, and we're going to start moving into where the gun laws kind of happen. It's the original pimp right there. The original pimp. He was like, yo, yo, you're getting treated wrong out there. You're getting taken advantage of. Come to me. I'll make sure you're paid fair. You have a good night's sleep, a full belly, but you'll work under my house. you work for me. Yeah, it's, uh... Yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Get it, Grant. Go yeah, on. yeah, do, it. do whatever it is you're going to do. Damn. As long as it's slightly better than the other shit they're going through, I guess it's a win. Yeah, well, like, and, it ain't as bad as where you good, came from, right? That's a good point, because, like, the alternative here but is But don't you slavery. talk back. Yeah. And so, like, indentured servitude, if you can call a lot of this that, which I could. Yeah, yeah. It's slightly better. Not mm -hmm. good. Yeah, yeah. But it's slightly, better. Yeah, it's slightly better. And, uh, and so the Page Act, um, it barred entry uh, of Chinese women in the United States. It was banned against China. It was also a ban against Chinese men uh, and women from entering and usurping our jobs with their, you know, forced cheap labor and prostitution. But it also stopped a lot of other Asian people from entering the country. So like they would, you know, people from like Japan or Korea or you know, I don't remember what they were called at that time. But all these different nationalities of Asian people would try to come over to the United States, and because all white people in America were super racist, anybody who had looked like they might have Asian in them was like, oh, you're Chinese, we can't allow you in. Yeah, the first original, uh, they all look the same thing. It, it's not the first. I'm sure there's a lot more, right, but yes, but this yeah, is definitely like, a case of that. <laughs> it's where it probably stemmed from in America, or part of it, a big yeah. influence in the culture, mm -hmm. where, where it became okay to socially joke about it later on because of, you know, what's going on down yeah. in California. <laughs> yeah, and so, so there's like a lot of Japanese people that are getting turned away, a lot of like you know, Koreans and I'm assuming Mongolians, uh, uh, Russians even, because they, you know, some of them look a little Asian. A lot of these people were just being turned away because, like, you know, they're, they're Asian yeah. looking. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty cool. 
So the Page Act was furthered by the Chinese Exclusion Act. <laughs> and this was a federal law signed by Chester Arthur in 1882. And this was a corollary or addendum to the Page Act of 1875. And see, the, the Page Act was, was enacted to keep Chinese people from coming over, but the Chinese Exclusion Act went even further. <laughs> like, <Yes>. Yay. <laughs> okay. So no Chinese person except for diplomats, teachers, students, travelers, and merchants were allowed into the United States. Many people still got through and made their lives better, but the law had been set and was only repealed in 1943. <laughs> So you had to be a you had to have a reason to be here if you were Asian. You couldn't just come over here. You had no. to already be successful, basically. Exactly. They were like, yeah. "Oh, you're Which trying was to sell us." Anti the theme of what we're told in the states is. Yeah, yeah. successful. Come over here to be successful. Yeah, exactly. They were more or less allowing like trade or education. To they're like, "Oh, you're here to kind of sell us some stuff and barter." Okay, we'll tolerate it. Oh, yeah. you're here to teach us something that we think we feel is worth our value. Okay, but if you're like, what are you here for? They're like, I just wanted to find a better place than where I'm at. They're like, no, 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 no. You get the fuck out. No, no, no. You you, you can't come over here and make unless a better life try, for yourself. Unless you're what trying, are you trying to barter to here. Like, we got business going on. The American dreams, not you. Ain't, you. If but, you ain't here for business, <laughs> we, ain't, we ain't trying to sell. Like The American dreams for Americans. <laughs> yeah, it's like, what the fuck? Remind yeah. me when you bled red, white, and blue. That's like the, the American dreams. Yeah. Up and it's like, throughout history, it's like, no, nah, no, nah, I wouldn't really like that. The American much. dream is for sale. Oh, Not yeah. for just a coming over and enjoying. You wanna you wanna buy into a piece of the pie. Well, and, yeah, and that's like the root we'll of it. We'll charge you a slight amount of interest so you can get going on it. Well, and that's the root of it, right? Is that like there's there's all this money being made, uh, you know, through through these uh, you know railroad tycoons and these captains of industry and stuff like that, and they want to hire people who are who are trying to move out here in order to build. Uh, at this time, the white population in what was Mexico, because we're about to get into a fucking the Mex Mexican-American War, actually the Spanish-American War. Uh, but the point being the same is that like we we needed to build this little army of white people in California in order to like defend the you know, United States. Like so to keep themselves in power. Basically. Yeah. Well, and that's what it is, and so. When you've got, uh, uh, we'll say, European white immigrants who have guns uh, at this point in time, they are really well, like, we welcome them. Like, they, they, they might shoot a couple of brown people, but, like, who cares? It's the 1850s. Like, you know, it's not a big deal for the time. But what we can't handle is, is if, you know, black, native, Mexican, Chinese people, if they, you know, either come here or live here and build prosperity. We can't have that. We cannot have people who are non-white getting a foothold on on finances and riches and stuff like that. We we can't have them be controllers of business. And that's kind of where this is kind of going is like we need to make sure that they are under our foot. And that's the entire philosophy here at the time. We're just kind of pretending that it isn't. Um and so no Chinese person was, uh, you know, as I said, except for like diplomats, teachers, students, and blah, blah, blah. And it was, you know, repealed, the Chinese Exclusion Act was repealed in 1943. So this is two years before the end of World War II. <laughs> like, yeah. So it's like 70-ish, 80 years, something like that, where this law is in place. That's a long time. Very long time. Um and as Chinese, uh, and as Chinese anti-Chinese sentiment rose throughout the later part of the 1800s in California, specifically San Francisco, the violence that once typified Chinatown had kind of begun to decrease. So we're getting to the like closer to the 1900s, 
and Chinatown, you know, with their notorious Chinese gangsters, which it, you know, kind of was a thing, but there was white gangsters too. Um, the, the, the crime there is starting to decline. And, and, and this meant that the people who had kind of been involved in the discourse around guns, they kind of had to shift their attention from Chinese crime to just crime in general. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quote again from Huerta's thesis again. Quote, In 1912, San Francisco saw a string of murders of, white, of young white women killed by young men with easy access to firearms. With the decreased perce uh, perceived threat from Chinatown, the discourse shifted to include firearms themselves and the ease in which they could be acquired. In response, to a, new uh, in response a new discourse unfolded. Judicious men incorporated tenets of passive manhood, but emphasized skilled and responsible gun ownership, as well as disarming impassioned and insane whites for the protection of peaceful, peaceable citizens. In opposition to the proposed legislation, defensive men began. Uh, uh, defensive men believed in their right to take up arms for protection. However, they did, did advocate legislation to ban concealable weapons. So we're going to quote from this a little bit more here in a minute. But what's going on here is is even people who have guns, people who carry them all the way, are like, we shouldn't hide them. Like if we hide guns, this is this could be bad. And. And probably one of the most woke thing that's happening right now is, is people are like, oh, it's white people with guns that are murdering a bunch of people. We should be very concerned about white people carrying around guns. So it's just something to, like, to, to, to note while we're going on. Because again, crime in Chinatown is decreasing, so we've got to blame somebody. Yes. And, and San Francisco is, is very focused on how gun crimes occur and who's committing these things. And they're like, well, it seems like insane white people are doing this, which is... Very like 170 years later, yeah. still very much the truth. Yeah. <laughs> so again, uh, continuing with Huerta's uh, her thesis quote: "The discourse surrounding gun control in San Francisco is wrapped in the idea of manliness, race, and civility. What did it mean to be an ideal citizen? Were those who carried guns manly?" Or did the answer to these questions only apply to white inhabitants? The rapid growth of, of San Francisco included the, included the growth of, of a racially diverse population causing white, causing white community to defend their relationship to violent, uh, to define their relationship to, to violence and firearms. So like, this is when people, white people are like, we need, we need to have guns. Like we, our identity is hinged upon us having guns and people who aren't us not having guns. <clears throat> and, uh, so with the rise of violent imagery of Chinatown projected by the city newspapers, whites were able to define themselves in opposition to the Chinese who were seen as lawless and notoriously carried concealed weapons. With the, with the decrease of violence in Chinatown, white San Franciscans began to further critiquing their relationship to firearms and concerned themselves with the control of impassioned and insane gun, uh, gun holders. As newspapers report on women becoming the victims of gun violence, there was an increased urgency for stricter gun control through standardized nationwide gun control. So we're starting to see in like 1812 or 1912, rather, like uh, we can't blame the Chinese people anymore, but a bunch of white people are still dying. So that means guns are like, we can't just carry guns around, you know, California by itself, but specifically San Francisco and LA. And it's a, it's, it's a, it's an interesting story. Um, and we're going to, we're going to jump back into like 
what gun control was like here in San Francisco at the time uh, when we get back from a break. Uh, but for the time being, we are going to hit you guys with some advertisements. So uh, enjoy those. And uh, when we get back, I'll tell you a little bit more about San Francisco's uh, second attempt at gun control. So mm, break. Hey, bro, you going to peel that onion? Hello, mi amigo. But dude, this is this is lame. Like, why can't peeling onions be awesome, Irano? I know, bro. Hella lame. It's so lame, I say. So lame. Hey, bros. It's, it's Chad, Chad Johnson. <laughs> peeling onions can take, like, so many hella days. And it's, like, lame. Like, hella lame. For chicks and bros alike. But, like, have no fear stuff. Because I'm Chad Johnson's. And I'm here to tell you about my super dope invention. Chad Johnson's is Extreme High Velocity Onion Peeler. Whoa, bro. How, bro? Here's how, bros. You take your onion. Chad, bro. And you throw it hella hard at my patented Chad Johnson's is Extreme High Velocity Onion Peeler. That's it, bros. That's it. Bro. I know. Well, if you're anything like me, you love tacos and wings. And if you're anything like me, you're a giant fat ass that eats too much. And you don't have those pocket space for a bottle of antacid. Introducing the Tum. This is the biggest, baddest Tum that's ever been on the market. And this antacid, oh boy, it's enough to go around. Are you tired of that heartburn? Are you tired of that spicy food? Are you tired of your esophagus feeling like it's on fire? And you gotta wait for those pesky little bottle of ant asses to start catching up with you? No more. The Tum. It is one 10-pound chunk of some chemicals I'm not really familiar with, but I know they works real good. We took Tums, put them in a 10-pound block, and made it into a salt lake. But it's not for cattle. I mean, why are you asking me about the chemicals? The chemicals in it aren't important, okay? It works good. Eat, lick, okay. The Tum. Y'all ever come home after a hard week's work, got your Friday night paycheck, listening to country music, feeling good about being American, but you know you got to take the old lady out to Olive Garden for a nice dinner, and you're thinking, maybe I stink like shit. And I'd much rather smell like freedom. Introducing the American deodorant, where you can smell like a combination of freedom and a bald eagle. Will you wait right here just one second? Pass that thing over here. Let me get a whiff. Well, I'm getting notes of all sorts of baby oil and gunpowder and tiger titties. Woo! Bang up, shoot them up. I now smell like freedom. Do you like smelling like the Constitution? You like smelling like cattle dung? Illicitly earned money or maybe slush funds? Well, welcome to America, baby. No, I ain't handing this sample back. It smells so damn good, I ain't giving it to you. This is gonna be mine. You'll smell so damn good, she'll be like, please tax my ass. Pop the top, stick it on, rub it on, call it good. You can take a shot of it. You can put it in your armpits. You can do whatever the hell you want to. Guess what? Because you're American. You clean your guns with it. You can polish your truck with it. It's Freedom Pits for everyone. Freedom Pits deodorant. From Freedom Core, America Freedom. American Best Freedom thing. Freedom America. Core. Fucking free. Of America. 
smell like America today with America deodorant. And we're back. I hope you guys at home enjoyed those commercials. I know we in the studio did. Uh, They were tasty commercials, both uh, fake and probably real. I don't know. Did did we talk about banana bread again? We probably did. No, not us. I mean, the sponsors. Well, I mean, I don't know. Are we still sponsored by banana bread? Well, we've made banana bread. It's, It's kind of a difficult thing to talk about. Um, cause it's like, are we sponsored if it's us? I mean, I did just get an incentive from a, uh, uh, venue that we're going to be playing out here soon. They said, make sure you tell the guys that we will have banana bread. Holly, and I was like, I will like, he was like, if they're unsure about whether or not they want to play, make sure they know there will be banana bread. And I was like, will do. And they're like, we'll give you money. Stop, stop, stop. We don't need money. You said banana bread. That's all we need. We need those bricks. Loaf so, it up. So I, I, before, we, did you have a thought? I, I like banana bread. Yeah? Yeah, that's, that's about all I wanted to say. It's banana. really the only use for, for blackened banana skin. Like banana skin bananas. And like it's, I mean, banana bread is like, hell yeah, bro. That's like, hell yeah. You know what else is hell yeah? But not really. Racist California gun laws. I what knew you, it. What are you guys thinking so far about about our, our little story? You, you got a you got a little feeling for where we're going? Yeah, I think I, I think I have an idea of what it's going to lead into. It's, but you know, so far there's been a few things I didn't know. Yeah. I didn't know you, uh, Grant, made like a big speech about the Chinese problem. That's pretty weird. Well, yeah. And, yeah well, I mean, he not his character. Just I just didn't know that. I never knew people were commenting on that and stuff like that. That big of a deal. It was yeah. It was kind of a a thing. Uh, especially with like the Chinese and stuff, um, mm-hmm. even here locally in Weaverville, they have a you know a lot of of Asian influence and culture there through the, the gold mining days. And yeah. if I believe right, uh, Weaverville was uh, founded in 1855, which is and the they, they didn't have a road accessible road there so everything was by mule or hiking in and stuff like that for 30 years later and stuff and there was a lot of uh asian culture that was influenced in there but it was still even if you look back it was like no you don't walk on the same side of the street you you are over there you are over here like we as the the white people, if you will, in like a very mm. vague general sense. Well, no, that's very much the the, the 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 thought at the time. It's like yeah. us white people versus yeah. Y'all. It was uh, it was like this is our town. We're 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 gonna we're gonna allow you here because we get it, but we build don't our like railroads. it. So just don't buy, uh, go over there, and you can help build the roads, and you can help do all these things that we want, but don't really want to put the work in for. But also. Don't you be trying to defend yourself because we're we're the ones allowing you this opportunity yeah. and we're the ones and we're and it keeps well and, and you bring up a really good point too because we're going to kind of get into it a little bit uh, here in the next few minutes we're going to talk about like 1917 we were just talking about 1912 and like after this point like black people have been well that like they that they are no longer slaves officially um, but they are still treated like absolute shit when it comes to to 
you know, just white people. And, and, and it's, uh, it's not something that is only happening, happening to black people at the time, but we're going to get more into that as we continue with the story. But this is something that's happening to like Mexican people, Portuguese, to any Spanish people that are left over here, the native Americans, like us white people came over and we had these six shooter guns. We were like, what are you going to do? Talk shit. Do it. Try it. Bang, 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 bang. You know? Well, that's almost too. You can see <clears throat> with like all the gold rush stuff. Cause that's really what influenced the, uh, bringing people to California and stuff like that. You know, some people came over and there was like, Oh, there was gold there. And then everybody came over. We're a little like, shit. We didn't want to give all the gold out to everybody. We wanted more for ourselves. So at the very least, just don't allow them, anybody else to defend themselves. So yes. we can like, yeah, go work over there. And when I get, if my, if my gold hole or mine or whatever and stuff comes up dry and yours is hitting rich, well, I might just step over to your spot because you know what? Like, it's like the upper edge. Like they can yeah. keep trying to give themselves the upper edge where they're like, yeah. You can be here, but more or less like setting in place. But if I, if I don't come up enough, I'm gonna fuck your shit up. Like I'm sorry, but like you got, like, way down on the dibs list, and you know it's if I gotta come in, that's just how it is, because that's you know like guns a blazing. That's the story as old as history. You know yeah, what I mean. Yeah. In this well, case, it's European colonizers versus everybody else. Yeah, and, and that's kind of the story of, like, the, the 1863 gun laws was that, like, you know, these white people were looking at Chinatown specifically, and they were like, oh, there's a lot of crime coming out of there. Fucking Chinese people. We should get them to not have concealed weapons. Because it wasn't so much about guns at this point. It was just about any weapon. Yeah. But, we're you know, it ties into gun control. And so it was very much like... We should keep these these pretty strong Chinese people from being as strong as we are. Because what if California becomes China? And that's kind of like one of the worries at this time. Because again, California is such a fledgling nation or such a fledgling state that it's we want to keep our dominance there. I've always just seen it as like a piss poor excuse for a backdoor, if you will, and stuff like it that. It really is, yeah. So it's it has really nothing to do with. Oh, I'm, I'm gonna. I don't want to bite my tongue here. So. It's, it's like the dominance thing and stuff like that, where yeah, it's like yeah. it's very easy for, let's say, to, uh, I guess just to get real bland about it, two white people to sit down and have a, an argument about like, oh, well, this and well, that and stuff, and they can't really come to a conclusion, but it's really easy to be like, but the Chinese. But the Chinese. So, yeah. okay, I tell you what, as long as you and me don't get fucked. And that will, like, let's just lessen their rights. Let's just do this, and it will make us prosper better in that. And so they keep putting in these things with, um, just to help, like, and, and it starts out as small, you know, as small groups. It started out as 1,000 people. Yeah. And then it went to 30,000. They're like, shit, it's getting a little populated and stuff like that. But then they're seeing this deal, like, how do we get an edge on it? And they keep throwing in these things. Well, it's like a kick-the-dog excuse for, like, well, the minority well, that's something we know we can regulate and put laws on because what are they going to do? Defend themselves? What are they going to stand up in court? No, there's well, there's thirty thousand of us and there's five thousand of them. And Fuck a, it, let's put, let's say this, 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 and it's and on top of it's that, been it's been common for so long where it's just like the the majority takes advantage of the mi minority yeah. and, yeah, and it, then ensues racism because of just 
the geographic region. Well, and, and it's it's it also comes from this very privileged perspective that I think a lot of European pioneers and, and colonizers at the time had, where it's like, I worked to get here. What have you done to be here? And, it, and that's, it, that's it's completely a discount of, of any struggles that any person has other than myself, other than the ones. No, self, exactly. You know? And that's where I also kind of want to throw in is like a lot of racism. We naturally think it's it's whites are the only racist type yeah. of deal. But I see it more in a broad form spectrum across the whole world. Everybody's racism racist. is everywhere. Yeah. And that it doesn't matter. Fucking if Chinese hate the Urga or it's, Urgas or yeah, whatever Yeah, exactly. Their, their name and is. so it ends up being this like majority versus the minority thing based on yeah. your demographic where that's where racism plays where it's like well there's more of more of us in our in america obviously it's we, the white thing and stuff like yeah. that but you go to other countries and they're like fuck you um this is our country we work for this so yeah. fuck yeah. your culture racism because you're, you're, you're just about. what's yeah. that racism is the symptom of what you're talking about basically. yeah yeah, yeah it yeah, comes yeah. hand in hand first the people group up on someone then you gotta make yourself feel all right about it it's the yeah. symptom of yeah exactly mm -hmm. that well, and, and yeah, you bring up a good point, too, because, like, when we were pushing ourselves west, we were, like, these goddamn natives, and we shot at them with every fucking gun with, that we could. And then when we got to California, we were the minority still. Uh, you know, speaking as a white people, uh, we were the majority still. And so, like, a big part of, like, keeping that ownership was, like, yeah, we own the land title and shit like that. But Mexico's looking pretty strong. I think France was... Uh, no, France was kicked out at the, at the time. There was still a couple of different parties that were, like... California looks pretty good. And then we discovered gold and people were like, Holy oh, fuck, we need to get real. so many white people over there <laughs> yeah, as fast as we can. Yeah. <laughs> Just, Put some paper that will on, on the, make a document about this area where we can take these resources that everybody's going to fight for if they have to. Just be like, uh, this is uh, for white Americans area. Sign yeah. it, agree it, put it in a thing. Okay, if you see anybody else, now that the general citizen is like, oh shit, they're... We're the ones that work for it, and they don't, you know. Yeah. You could be just as new as any any Asian or whatever, you know, any immigrant, if you will, coming into America. You could be the newest white American there is. But you're still better. But you're you're you're. <laughs> it's you get that little. Uh, such, yeah, such. it's 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 a little fucked. So, uh, in in eighteen eighty two, we had the Chinese Exclusion Act. Um, and, and, and that was, you know, we'll get into that a little bit more. Um, but you know, with the whole liberal gun grab here in I California, I don't even like the name of what you keep saying. Chinese I, exclusion. I, I, I literally, I even know that exists. It keeps literally like, just saying the name about? of an actual act that existed. Yeah, it keeps in making US my eye legislation. twitch. He's trying to say it. I'm like, oh, I'm not going to like this. <laughs> well, again, it was only repealed in 1942. Like that was when world war two was happening. Like it's, it's bad. Like this is a bad time in the United States politics. That whole getting group together. You show up there and they're like, you can't come. He's like, I'm Japanese. And he's like, Whatever, man, get the fuck yeah. out. You Whatever, know what I mean? Chinamen, get yeah. out of here. It's just Island China to me. Get out yeah. of here. You know? Yeah. What the fuck? And so, uh, you know, according to like the. <laughs> Did you have something to say before I continue? I just don't even. It's like, so. <laughs> like, how stupid are Americans type of deal? They don't even know what the difference between China and Japan is. Yes. And that, like, they have really no other idea of any other country outside of their small Western There's town. still a generation of people that I know. Like the generation of people, like my grandfather's generation, that is still around today. That call that very that, that they do their best to be as woke as they can, but they still call Asian people, no matter their descent, Orients or Oriental. Oriental. And yeah. and it's like it's a racist term, but like they're trying. 
In fact, uh, just an anecdote before we get going. Uh, my grandpa came back from the, the grocery store one day and he was like, yeah, I was talking with this, this black feather, really nice guy. And it's like, there's always this little tone of racism with that kind of generation where it's like, uh, you know, uh, actually, I think he called him a colored fella, but you know, he meant a black guy. And, it, and it's, it's this way of them being, trying to be as woke as they can, but using the yeah. only words that they have for that generation. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, I was talking to a colored guy and he, you know, he was one of the good ones. He was one of the good ones. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, you're like, oh man, that's really nice of you. That's, <laughs> yeah, I'm what glad that's you. the least of what you said. Yeah. <laughs> So anyway, it was it was to to many uh, modern like conservatives chagrin uh, when in 1917 California furthered their gun control laws by adding background checks and concealed carry permits. Background checks. Yes. And when? When? Wait. This yeah. is in 1917. So this is this you is could a, do a this is almost 40 check years then? after the Chinese exclusion. What was the background yeah, check? Seriously. You call your aunt. Well, the background check and was like what? That's. Oh, no, the yeah, background yeah. check was, was like <laughs> you write a you write a letter yeah. to like your supposed well, no, aunt, yeah. and they're like, "Is he cool?" And they're like, "Yeah, he's cool." And it's just well, like your friend down the street that's like, uh, "I need cigarettes for my dad." Well, and at this point in time, like police stations and sheriffs departments are getting established throughout California. There's still few and far between, right? But they're you know that the, these people like if you've committed a, a crime in uh, L.A. Now there's a telegraph wire that can send your your description up to San Francisco oh, okay. to Sacramento, yeah. and so like things are becoming a little bit more modernized as we're continuing the story, and it's going to continue the further we get along. Um, but yeah, th this was a way for people to be like, all right, especially in San Francisco, you can't have a fucking gun unless we know we know what's up with you. They just called the chief of police, and they're he done bad there, nah, nah, he good, he done bad there, nah. He done bad well, and it's there. 1917, so I was like, hey, is, is my boy John Walker done any bad? And yeah, like, yeah. Well, no, exactly. sir. He's, he's doing great. Yeah. You know? yeah. And so, so again, San Francisco, <laughs> they, so California made this law where you had to, to get the background checks and concealed carry permits. Uh, but San Francisco furthered this even by, uh, by mandating uh, any, they, they wanted to register any gun that was in the, in the city itself. Obviously, it's 1917. Like they didn't get probably an eighth of the amount of guns that were there, um, but they, they they did what they could, and and so the the eight the 1917 law reads in part like this: "Quote, Section Eight: It shall be lawful for the sheriff of a county and the board of police commissioners, chief of police, city marshal." town marshal, or other head of the police department of any city, city and county, town, or, or other municipal, municipal corporation of this state upon proof uh, before said board, chief, marshal, and other police head that the person applying, therefore, is of good moral character and that good cause exists for the issuance of, uh, to issue such a person to license a concealed uh, a carry concealed a pistol, revolver, or other firearm for a period of one year from the date of such license. So this is this is them saying like only government officials can carry weapons, other than like very specific other people who are who are involved in government types. And anybody else, as long as they're of good moral character, is the term that they use, which we're gonna circle back to. Um, uh, the people of good moral character can have guns. But you have to you have to register that that concealed carried weapon the the weapon that you're hiding with the state for one year. 
So it's kind of an understandable law. I don't know how much I agree with it. I'm not really gonna gonna insert my total opinion on on. It's got gun a lot of here. flaws. I would say. I because, would say so too. Uh, the language is vague. Well, serial numbers on guns weren't introduced till 1968. We're gonna get to that. Okay. Yeah. So I'm like. I can already see a lot of loopholes in like you gotta register your concealed weapon. It's like I'll just I'll just okay. So I shot the guy with this one. Get I'm just gonna this get guy. this one, you know, yeah. like throw this one in the lake and then yeah, what? It's still got all the bullets. Well yeah. and we're gonna get into that too, because guns were just found everywhere. Like yeah. from, from like the nineteen fifteen <laughs> like uh, to like the nineteen sixties, I wanna say, even still now, but they're less common. There was just guns laying everywhere. It's like a, you could find one, shit. you could find one just like looking for snails or something. It's a, yeah, that's why I'm like I always imagine like treasure hunts where they're like there's buried treasure in whatever the bottom of some lake or something like that. And I'm like I can only imagine how many rivers and or certain spots over bridges or whatever. If you dove down, there's just like a plethora of old weapons. Yeah. But well, I never hear about that. I mean, and, well, and so like we're gonna be going a little bit more. We're we're gonna be fast forwarding a little bit here in time in order to keep up with the gun laws, not necessarily the narrative of of time throughout them. Um, but like, you know, right after the issuance of this, it's it's 1917 when this gun law is issued, and four years later, Babyface Nelson is 12 years old when he's arrested yeah, yeah, yeah. for for air quotes accidentally shooting his playmate in the face with a pistol he found. So again, like that, their pistols are just like these guns yeah. are lousy. They are everywhere, and he later goes on to be like a Robber and arsonist and you know bank robber and all that kind of fun shit. So like, I think he's a very specific story. But again, he found a pistol. Like, <laughs> and so just one laying there. Was so we started shooting and banging, it's, and it's just laying there. What I'm actually, you bring up a good point. I wonder if he fired it first at the child or if he shot it once and was like, <laughs> actually, I'm not gonna get into which that. happened. It just he, it's yeah. pretty dark. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> So the history of gun laws uh, has been described by a pattern called, quote, tragedy legislation repeat. And so, you know, between 1917 and where we're about to go, a lot of fucking tragedies happen, guys. And so between the 1900s and 1920s, they brought a lot of like crimes of passion, but it also, you know, brought more racism with it. Uh, And I'm going to quote from Huerta's thesis again, quote, Meanwhile, states, states such as California had gun control rooted in racism, she says in quotes. And as a massive movement swept the state in 19, uh, 1879 rather, to make it illegal for non-citizens to bear arms, this became part of state law banning concealed weapons in 1923. So we're skipping up just a little bit. Uh, indeed, because of the Chinese Exclusion Act, uh, because the Chinese Exclusion Act prevented the Chinese from gaining citizenship, they were unallowed to own firearms in the state of California after 1923. They were also weren't allowed to own them really before that. Yeah, very well. But yeah, that, that's the end of her quote. And uh, and so th- this 1923 gun law saw that felons and non-citizens weren't allowed to care, to, to allow that they they just couldn't buy guns. They couldn't own guns. Like it's basically illegal in any regard for them to own guns. And this was also at this time the 1923 gun law was the introduction of the one-day waiting period, uh, the serial numbers, and dealer licenses. And it did like a little bit to combat the crimes of passion, but like plenty of people were still murdered. And so. Like the the root of of like serial numbers and dealers' licenses. This is because we don't want like non citizen people to own guns. Like absolutely not. We do not. We only want Americans, preferably white, to own guns. 
1923. So. It's our constitution. It's our amendment to bear arms, not yours. It's still, it's just more class warfare than it is yeah, with a yeah. bunch of racism and people being brought up believing, you know, oh, we're better than them. That's why they don't get guns. It's just stupid shit like that. You know. Oh, just, and we're going to get into more class, uh, class yeah. issues and yeah. racism here in a little it bit. Just, Oh man! But it's and it's it's this you know as I said before it's like we want us to have it we don't want you to have we it. We wrote That's these the rules for Americans. Yeah, for for us white Americans, this is ours. And if you do it, how fucking dare you do the same thing we do? And it's like kind of the recurring story of you know yeah, what the United going States. On here. Yeah, and so. uh the 1923 legislation of guns stopped Chinese people and non-citizens from purchasing guns, and there was kind of a decline in gun violence between 34 and 1950. Um, but it did very little for the emerging world of crime. And like, obviously, there had been a lot of crimes before, but big headlines about like bank robberies and mysterious murders and gang activity these all started to explode during this times because because like. That the bad guys weren't allowed to own guns, and since bank robbers have guns, now they're doing the bad guy things. And and it, we've always, you know, as a as as a human civilization, we've always been kind of fascinated with like murder and like the dark and decrepit stuff. We were very curious as to why and how things die. And honestly, you could further that by saying like that's how we stopped eating poisonous mushrooms. Like we're, like how the fuck did this guy die? And so we've always had this fascination with morbid, uh, the the morbid, you know, and that's. That's kind of what we're seeing here. Like crime rates are going down, but the the the, the newspapers are, are reporting more on any crime that happens because it's we got to sensationalize news. Yeah, you know? but people like it, like you said. You know, they don't want it in real life, but they like hearing about it, the adventure oh. of it, the theme of it. Slightly, we were, some of those people are slightly glorified to a degree. Yeah, you yeah, know what I mean. Definitely. And it's like, well, it's like cool. Yeah, he robs a bank, but you know, one out of three banks he robs, he shoots some innocent people. Yeah, and that's <laughs> fucked. Not, you know what I mean? Like. <laughs> Yeah, and there's also like this, you know, at the time, uh, there's this 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 kind of person that's coming out, and they've always been around too, but it's more particular here, like the puritanical, like, pearl-clutching, like, won't somebody think of the children kind of people, you know? Yeah. And it, it's it's this, yeah, it's where, like, we want to hear about this gore porn because it's what gets us off, because we want to be so vehement. We want to think of the children in... Yeah, it's just a, another thing that people will do to make themselves feel better. Yeah. It, it's kind of like the hashtag, hashtag save the children thing, you know? It's like, a, like nobody wants to destroy the children, guys. Yeah, no one wants them to have harm. Nobody on Facebook, like, I get... I thought you were going to stop there. You are like, well, nobody wants them. I was like, damn, rough. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like... No, the, the point being is that like if if you want if you want to contribute, this hashtag is not really doing much to raise awareness. Everybody knows that pedophilia is a pretty bad fucking thing. In fact, I would yeah. argue that we all learned about it from you know the age of so and so. Yeah, they and, warn you. Yeah, and so nobody's like mystified that this is happening. Nobody's surprised that this is happening. Um, but what you could do with that time rather is donate fifty bucks, donate twenty bucks, twelve bucks to a, a your local charity that helps foster kids or people in youth or, or the, like traumatized kids. Uh, you know, maybe you can donate it to a special detectives unit. Like there, there's a bunch of other things that you can do other than passing around a hashtag. And that's kind of where like this pearl clutching thing is happening here where it's like, Oh, won't somebody think of the children? And everybody's like, Oh, hold up, miss. We're not going to gun laws. Hmm. Yeah. Hold up. 
I think we're fine. Yeah, you know? children will be okay. Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, between the, the 20s era prohibition and the 1960s, there was a lot happening. Bonnie and Clyde had been robbing rural gas stations from between 1931 and 34. Carl Panzram, serial killer, rapist, arsonist, robber, burglar, and yacht owner murderer had been on the loose. The Brinks job, a heist on the Brinks uh, money company building, it happened in 1950. And so, again, these are just cases of, like, crime is still happening. And these are all happening with guns. This isn't, like, gun control hasn't done a whole lot here. And, uh, and so, despite all the crime occurring, it's, it's still de- declining. You know, it's still n- not as many people are committing crimes because it's, we're getting into the 1950s. You know, we're starting to see the prosperity of World War II and that, you know, the white picket fence thing has become real. Better One person can work a half-time job and still have a house, a car, and then maybe a car for the kid, too, when he turns 21 or whatever. Yeah. Um, so, so, you know, all this crime is decreasing. And, 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 you know, in order to kind of look at the declining crime of this time, I, I want to quote from a, a 1967 publication by the CDC and the Department of Vital and Health Statistics. Quote, the long, the long decline in homicide continued into the mid-50s. By 55 through 58, homicide had fallen to 4.5 deaths per 100,000 population, the lowest level since 1910. So that's, that's pretty significant. Um, thereafter, the rate began to rise slightly, reaching 5.1 homicides per 100,000 in 1964. During this period, trends, for, uh, trends differed for certain segments of the population. End quote. I mean just a weird thought but like all things considered all our boys just got back from war killing a whole lot of nazis yeah and they were probably like i'm good on killing i'm good dude. like hey we're all cool no, that's like a good point. i just got it all out of my <laughs> like, system yeah. so of course there's a very <laughs> drastic decline and like some murder rate yeah. if you will or like high crime and that they're like yo that shit was nuts and there was the draft it wasn't like just like a select few no it was it, whoever it was, random it was, select. Like you, you had the people that would be killed. If you were killed. seventeen, you were almost like forced. You into might be it. committing yeah. crime Everyone on the everywhere. street, but unfortunately, they sent you over to kill Nazis. They were, or you know, I don't want to say unfortunately, but like no, no. unfortunately, you had to go to you war. You had to go so to war, but fortunately, of, you got to kill Nazis. Yeah. <laughs> so it was like instead of doing crime on our streets, you were doing it on those streets, yeah. and we weren't going to blink an eye about it. You yeah. Know, like, yeah. It's a good point that, and I guess the quality of life, like you said, the white picket fence times popping up. Crime goes down, but you know they're still highlighting some of the craziest shit going on there. Well, and the white picket fence strictly depicts white people's neighborhoods. You know? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, they're doing pretty well, and obviously some of these people are working in, uh, you know, some of like the the black brown people are working in like factories and getting the same kind of wages that were benefited from like yeah. the labor's unions and Just stuff. Not as high as a percentage, you know. What I mean, exactly. Factory. Yeah, and and so so it's people were. I, I guess the entire point here is that people were satisfied around this time. Like crime is still obviously pretty bad, but you know, it's, it's crime. It's yeah. not good. It's better than it was. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, and so TV uh, wasn't as popular at that time either. Yeah. And so, so requoting the CDC and department of vital and health statistics during this period, trends differed for certain segments of the population. Those certain segments of the population were of course, disproportionately male and Non-white. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's a good description. <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, so yeah, it, it, it uh, and I find the term like non-white really telling for for an article published in like 1967 because it was like 62 or 85 or 58 or whatever. 
like desegregation had become a legal thing. And so like even the CDC is still like pretty racist during this time. They're like, well, we're not going to put them into different brackets, but like the non-whites, yeah. they're, mm, they die significantly more. Yeah. Yeah. They're just like, <laughs> <laughs> going to, you know, make it easier on ourselves. Typing takes a while. Yeah, exactly. You know? No, and you're right. Like they don't have computers. They can't just edit things. So they're yeah. like, well, they, he ain't white. So they're going into, there's two there's two folders that we're gonna put people yeah. in, you know. We ain't trying to segregate. We're just trying to organize. And you're like, what? Excuse me? Yeah. What what kind of organization is this? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so while crime seem like so while crime crime gradually decreased, uh, gun gun ownership rose because it's you know the United States and the laws surrounding it seemed to be like well established and kind of like like under control. Like we had have it had everything under control with gun laws for now, you know. And, uh, and, and this is coming, like, from the 50s into the 60s now. Because, like, better investigative techniques forced would-be criminals to consider their crimes at length. The Brinks job that I had mentioned just a little bit ago where they robbed not the money truck Brinks, but they robbed the fucking building Brinks. Um, the, the, that had res- was a result from, like, an 18-month investigation. Like, they, they put all of their attention into doing this one job. And so... You know, with the better criminal investigations that police had, people had to get smarter. And so it's it's likely crime was, like, more or less similar as it always had been, but it was per, perhaps more sneaky. Um, and, and, like, those guys got away with a shitload of money, like $3 million in their money from back then. Damn. Yeah. So it's a big fucking deal. And uh, so we're going to jump a little... We're going to jump forward to November 22nd, 1963. You guys, you guys remember that date? I'm sure some of our listeners do. I mean, it sounds like I should, but let's. Yeah, I'm sure my grandmother does. I'm sure most of the people who weren't born in the latter part of the '80s, I'm sure they remember it better than we do. I think that's when my grandmother was pregnant with my father. So, in the latter part of the '80s? No, '63. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. So I'm yeah, sure so, she remembers that era quite well. Well, November 22nd, 1963, at 12.30 p.m., a shot rang out near the yeah. Texas School Depository. Oh, here we go. Mm. <laughs> Hundreds of people heard it and watched as President John F. Kennedy was shot fatally through the neck and head. Yep. Lee, yeah. Lee Harvey Oswald was arrested for his murder a few hours later. Just two days later, he would also be murdered by Jack Ruby, a nightclub owner and police informant, shot point, point blank on live television. I think it's I think it's kind of interesting that he was a police informant. Yeah, yeah, I think it's interesting. I've seen that on some on something on YouTube. Hired sure. by the mob. I don't know, man. I just think it's interesting. I don't have any. Yeah. We can speculate it's off. A, it's all interesting. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you could you could have a whole. Fact episode. is, he had a gun. You yeah, could have yeah. a whole episode on JFK, so we won't spend too much time on that. Well, and this is going to lead us more into our, uh, this is going to be something that I just want to touch on because I'm going to bring it back up towards the end of the, the podcast for just a, more of a discussion about things. Um, but having, uh, we're talking about Oswald here. Having been honorably discharged from the Marines in 1956, Oswald defected to the Soviet Union for nearly five years, or three years rather. Did you say defected? <laughs> defected. Yeah. Huh. I yes. like that descriptor. And uh, that, that's not my quote, but I found it in a couple of different sources, so I, I stand by that, that use of that word. He was honorably discharged and then defected. And then he defected to the Soviet Union. To the Soviet Union. For nearly three years. <laughs> huh. 
He was denied citizenship, but they allowed him to remain in the country under the surveillance of the KGB. Now, I don't know if he was knowingly under the surveillance. I think that he probably wasn't. Um, but yeah, needless to say, he went to the Soviet Union after being discharged and was like, hey, can I be a citizen? And they were like, nah. Hey, keep a fucking eye on him, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is shady. <laughs> yeah. And uh, after th his three-ish years abroad, he returned to Texas to live with his Soviet wife and daughter. A year after uh, arriving back to the United States, Oswald bought a mail-order rifle, including a telescopic sight and a thirty-eight caliber revolver. So he bought he bought a, a oh, like long-range rifle, mail-order guns, and he bought a thirty-eight revolver. He then allegedly, <clears throat> and I I didn't look into all of the details of this, so grain of salt the rest of this. But he allegedly then tried to shoot the retired United States Major General Edwin A. Walker, <laughs> who is known to be a critic of communism. <laughs> mm. huh. that's, so, that's different. He had some political issues, yeah. for sure. So uh, uh, Oswald eventually tried to enter, enter Cuba and the USSR again, but was turned away at Mexico City. When he returned to the United States, he got a job at the Texas, Texas School Book Depository in, in Dallas. An investigative journalist later said this about Oswald, quote, what he, what he did hate was the system and what Kennedy stood for. He despised America. He despised capitalism. When he eventually had the opportunity to strike against Kennedy, it was a symbol of this. Uh, it was a strike against the symbol that he was going after. So and that's an end quote. But like, I, I think it's really funny because like <clears throat> right wingers at the time thought that JFK was way too communist. And then like Oswald who's like, at least to the very slight left wing, is like, he's way too capitalist for me. And it's like, hmm. it, dude didn't stand a chance as president. Like, it's... Yeah. yeah. And uh, the assassination of JFK is one of the many reasons for the 1965 California statute that extended the waiting period for guns from one day to five days. This is yet another example of tragedy legislation repeat. Thanks, Oswald. Yes. You're saying if he wouldn't have gone crazy, I could probably be mail ordering guns right you now. Could probably you be could probably look, yeah. Look into a catalog, calling a well, number. Well, at the very least, it would have only been taken away from me a few years ago. A few years. Yeah. No, well, I would say would a, few yeah, a few years later because somebody would have done yeah, something. Yeah, someone would have done something crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It's a. It's a. It's. Well, and it's just one of these weird stories where it's like obviously people have no political identity when they when when you really think about it like. He was too communistic, too capitalistic, and JFK was, from everything that I can gather, it was kind of like, I'm just trying to do the best that I can. And it's like, I get that. Yeah, a lot of it's projection, you know? Yeah. It's like, he's doing what I don't like, so I assume he's this. Yeah. Well, and again, the guy tried to attack the general major of the United, uh, the retired general major of the United States at the time. Yeah. So it's like, he wasn't, he's like... You know, there's all these conspiracy theories about who actually killed JFK. Yeah. And yeah. this seems the most reasonable just because of all the, the backstory that you get for who he is, yeah, you yeah. know? Fucking wacko. The honorably, honor, uh, let me just take back the honorably. If you discharge somebody from the military and then they move to the Soviet Union, you should probably just pay attention to him for a second anyway. Well, and here's like, the interesting hey, thing. I think that guy's got some things going on. He doesn't quite agree with yeah, the system. What happened to that insane act in so, California? So, so, what the fuck was that national at one so, point? So one thing I didn't include actually was that like he was dishonorably discharged or honorably discharged from, from the Marines, if I, if I remember correctly. And uh, 
he immediately went over to the, to the Soviet Union. And then afterwards, once they saw him move to the Soviet Union to, to dissent, they, they decided to change his honorable discharge to a, uh, let's see if I remember it, an undesirable discharge. Oh, shit. Yeah, and I don't remember if that's the exact term for it, but it's pretty interesting. Mm. And so, you know, this is another story of uh, tragedy, legislation, repeat. And when we get back, we're going to talk about the NRA and um, how, you know, maybe they're not as morally, like, on the narrow and straight path as we might think. It might be a little goofy. A little goofy. Speaking of goofy, here's some fake commercials. They're not fake. You're back with QVC Radio. We've got a great new product for you. We're talking to Stephen Corral. Hey, y'all. Are y'all tired of digging with your handheld shovels? Well, I'm Slippery Steve, and these are Slippery Steve's steel-toed shovel shoes. A tough shovel for your steel foot. <laughs> I design them, I use them, and I sleep next to them. They come in both, uh, ma'am, they come in both left foots and right foots. So, Slippery Steve, how did you come up with the idea? <laughs> well, you see, there's a funny story there. Wait, uh, I broke my foot in 82, that's where it all started, and I was, I was having a hard time walking, see? So, uh, one day I devised a plank with some strings on my foot, and it felt so good that I went into my garden, and I started digging up my prize-winning turnips, big as gophers they are, and I got the plank stuck in the dirt, and that's how the idea struck me, like the wrath of Jesus. Wow, that's amazing. So tell us a little bit about how it works. Well, well, uh, you see, you, you take your shoes and socks off like this, and, um, <coughs> <coughs> sorry, and you undo the 27 clasps along the boot, and you seal yourself in the Kevlar ballistic laces, and the lead line clasps will seal the shoe uh, securely to your foot. It, it's it's sim as simple as, uh, as uh, one, use the instruction manual to strap them suckers on your feet, and two, you're done. You're done now. You just start kicking the absolute shit out of the dirt. It's all organic, pesticide-free, and fair trade. Fascinating. I might get some for my garden. You should. And where can folks find your product? Well, uh, okay, I got my conversion van parked out there on Cromwell and 16th next to Tammy's Adult Novelty Shop for, for now. Uh, and you can find me in that abandoned parking lot across the street um, or... or you can you can order it. Uh, you can call it call an order in. You know on a on a line a phone line uh, five 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 zero nine hundred. Yeah, during the day, preferably bef before six p.m. and and after five p.m. Uh, busy. Uh, uh, the dark web uh, or 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 you can e email me at at slippery steve steel toed shovel shoes at darkweb.net. Um, also you could just go on, on the dark web, uh, and just look for slippery Steve, but that's, that's a different emporium entirely. Um, for li limited time, I'm bringing back my original design, the classic 82s in steel. And where can you ship your product? Oh, oh no. Um, no, ma'am. Uh, no, ma'am. That, that's close. Uh, 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 well, uh, I don't use the quote unquote mail system. Okay. You gotta come pick it up. 
It's only pickup, okay? I don't mail. And bring a pickup truck. Sometimes orders can be heavy. But no, ma'am, I, I don't mail. I don't trust the mail since they stole my license and that couldn't even prove that I was drinking, okay? You're, you're still too Oh, close. okay, okay. I was on my own property, though, ma'am. And, and hell, killing gophers, it, it, killing gophers ain't illegal yet. I, I, and I don't like pants. And I don't deliver and I don't use the mail. Uh, you know, so call first I, so I can put on pants, okay? So I'll see you at the van, yeah? And remember, Slippery Steve's steel-toed shovel shoes, the classic 82s. Gotta run, y'all. Catch you later. <clears throat> well, okay. Up next, the full line of... Full line... Up next, the full line of Risky products, including the new Risky Onion Peeler. Was that my finger or the onion? Who knows? It's Risky. Hello. We'd like all citizens of our great nation to consider getting a laser-guided orbital defense lasso cannon. We, your generous supervisors, are now willing to offer big discounts on cannons between the 19-inch variable detonation to the new 46-inch cluster launch. It has always been the American dream to own one of these bad boys, and with the incipient space mime invasion, our losses are your gains. God Emperor Justin Bieber has issued an executive order to offer tax write-offs and subsidies to keep these sky snakes flying through the atmosphere, effectively giving you, the American Patriot Consumer, a steep discount. So order now from your local district commissary. Laser-guided orbital defense lasso cannon. Let freedom ring. Are you ready for the raw? Are you ready for the real? Can you handle the extreme? Coming this summer, fourth corner fingerboard skateboarding. We're looking for fingerboarding fiends who are interested in making dope fingerboard videos. Do you got the bones? Do you got the blood? Do you got the ball bearings? I might not have none of those, but I do got the pants with that Velcro on them. Custom boards. Custom fingers, custom Velcro pants. Are you sick and tired of skinning your knuckles, breaking open your pants? Welcome to the Velcro. Pant time, baby. Breakaway pants, new from Fourth Corner Fingerboard Skateboarding Company. This summer, the most extreme you're going to see across the nation. On tour now. The Fourth Corner Fingerboard Skate Company. We want you. To break your pants. Or... Separate your pants. <laughs> and we're back. And those were some very, uh, very good commercials. Um, so as I was talking about the, the you know, the 1923 uh, gun legislation kind of through the 60s made like a lot of people not able to get guns. But uh, somebody did get a gun and ended up shooting JFK. And uh, so we're gonna we're gonna jump back into the story uh, with the NRA, because the NRA is considered a moral lighthouse to gun ownership, according to them and other gun, uh, uh, you know, according to them and other gun rights advocates. But the NRA did fully support gun control when African Americans exercised their right to open carry. 
The NRA has been around since 1871 and was founded in New York for the, quote, sport of shooting with rifles and pistols, which will be important here in a minute. They've been a lobbying group against any kind of legislation, legislative reform that would limit or control firearms. During the mid-1900s, they struggled against any laws limiting their, quote, rights to guns, citing a threat to the Second Amendment, the Constitution, and individual liberty, even after mass shootings. The NRA's main narrative after mass shootings is to not pursue public statements, but to assert that gun control wouldn't have prevented the violence. So they're, they're, they're like, there's nothing we can do about it. Instead, if bystanders had been holding guns, they could have stopped it. It's the basic, like, good guy with a gun story. And the point of this idea is the freedom-loving Americans should be able to open carry firearms in order to prevent bad people from killing other people. And this is the, the kind of the passive manliness we discussed earlier in regards to, like, the, the carrying of old, like, guns in old-timey San Francisco. But guys, I got news. The NRA was created to save black people from the KKK. What? The, the, spoilers, it's, that, that's not actually what happened at all. But NRA Man. supporters, gun lovers, and Trump fans <laughs> have come out of the woodwork to refute the idea that the NRA has always been racially insensitive. Not only was the NRA not racist, the opposite is actually true, they claim. Their claim is that the organization was created to counter racist organizations and ensure the safety of African Americans, like free slaves, to defend themselves. Now, I'm going to show you guys a meme being passed around in right-wing circles and, and let you guys kind of describe what you see. Alex, do, do, do you want to go ahead and, and, and just read that aloud and, and kind of tell me what, what you feel about it? Like, the, well, what's that about? The NRA was started to help blacks get guns to defend themselves from the KKK Democrats. Planned Parenthood, <laughs> which, which is in the same thing, <laughs> was started by a racist eugenist to rid the world of inferior races and detectives. Or, I'm sorry, defectives. Defectives. Yes. Guess who the Democrats still hate and they love and support today? And what, what's that say at the very bottom? Because that's going to be important here in a minute. It's a, go ahead, yeah, pull, pull it a little closer. Happy Hayride. Happy Hayride, that's right. So, what, what do you guys think about... I mean, first, the very first statement, but also the rest of this meme. I mean... So, do you guys, do you guys think the NRA was started to help black people? But to help blacks, is what the, how they I phrase mean, it? Get guns? I'm, I'm going to go off on a limb here, because I... I very not knowledgeable of this, but isn't there a lot of NRA? Wasn't there? Let me redirect. Or is I hmm, hmm. tough one to pick. Uh, a lot of NRA members that were white hood wearing. That well, we'll get into that just a little bit because so, there currently are, but okay. perhaps maybe not in the past. I'm just like so, I don't. <laughs> I mean, it's like, uh, I mean, any way you look at it, I mean, I don't think there's anything genuine about it as far as like, this is what we really believed. If anything, it was a way to, if, I don't know why they would require it, but like, you know, gain acceptance, um, whether there's some kind of like, you know, cultural acceptance from the communities, all, you know, have a little backup, whether they really give a shit about black people and old guns or not. Yeah. You know, it would have been like that statement that they would have made back in the day or put, you know, advertisement they released to state that would have been 
simply like you know an advertisement, a ploy, mm -hmm. if anything. Yeah, in, it, in, in an attempt to like uh, be like, hey, black people, yeah. we're cool too. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So it's, I mean, I almost that's seen just it as like a ass backwards way where it was like the NRA was uh, involved in the Ku Klux Klan, and then they were like, so we hate blacks, right? We hate blacks. Why don't we? Give them some laws that allow them to carry weapons, or uh, influence them on carrying weapons, but make laws about weapons at the same time, so we have a reason why when they fuck it up, mm -hmm. you know, like yeah. we're not looked down we're upon. We're not looked down upon. Yeah. Tap it. Oh, like, and so, <clears throat> conservative Christian author David Burton. <laughs> It's like, it's like the tobacco company. While appearing on Glenn Beck's show, The Blaze said something that Bla uh, Beck's uh, website summarized later by saying this, quote, In addition, Barton addressed the foundation of the NRA. While some like to demonize the Second Amendment group and even call it prejudiced, it turns out the powerful group was in fact started by two Union generals in 1871 as a means to drive out the Ku Klux Klan and ensure that blacks, who although then free, were not allowed means with which to defend themselves, could in fact legally own guns. And I want to just note that these comments have been described as revisionist. <clears throat> so I, get, I bet you guys are curious about what like Happy Hayride is, that little group at the yeah. bottom. Yeah, what is that? Well, based upon its Facebook group, it is a, quote, podcast with no podcast episodes I can find. It is a page about memes about life, our world, our culture, our country, and our family. Their Facebook profile is of who else? Donald John Trump. Really? <laughs> Their Facebook page loves to post things like, have you ever been so offended at something that you thought, man, I need to steal a flat screen TV right now? And why does the left devalue human life to the point of harvesting and selling, uh, using selling uh, baby parts as an industry? Because they are hateful towards God. God values human life. And like the, their main gist is is just to be like that the, you know leftist Democrats or whatever are trying to like abolish the electoral college and like people of color you know mainly black people that are shot or you know that that they always have warrants and it's it's just kind of one of those kinds of pages. <clears throat> but as I said, uh, there are claims on the internet about the NRA being created to help newly freed slaves learn how to use guns to like defend themselves against the KKK. However, the first iteration of the KKK was formed in Tennessee, and it existed between 1865 and 1871. 1871 was the year the NRA was formed in New York. Now, there's been three different iterations of the KKK, and this first one was just a bunch of like drunken Confederates, like literally dressing up as ghosts and acting like total weirdos, <laughs> claiming that they were ghosts of Confederate pasts and like scaring black people. And, and they, they, like, like the story is fucking stupid and wild. Like it's a bunch of frat dudes that become an MLM morons. Yeah, and and while they did use a lot of violence and threats, like a lot of people died during this time. I'm not trying to minimize that. Um, they were just like a small brand band of like stupid people that eventually like faded because they didn't have any good leadership. The second iteration of the KKK occurred between 1912 and 1944, and the third being between 1950 and until now. So I'm curious as to what iteration the NRA helped black people against, because it seems that their story is full of shit. 
It's also noteworthy that the official story of the NRA, NRA neglects to mention any instance of African Americans. Their official website about their history, entitled A Brief History of the NRA, says this about their creation. Quote, Dismayed at the lack of marksmanship shown by their troops, Union veterans Colonel, uh, Colonel William C. Church and General George Wingate formed the National Rifle Association in 1871. The primary goal of the association would, uh, would be to protect, uh, promote and encourage rifle shooting on a scientific basis, according to a, ma uh, a magazine editorial written by Church. So again, I'd like to see some of their sources for these claims, like the NRA being you know, created to help black people, because it's... I, I fucking doubt it, sincerely. Um, but what we can say definitively is that for being super into, like, guns rights, which is, like, a weird, like, phrase to say in, its, in itself, the NRA definitely wanted gun controls during the 1960s. You see, during the 1960s, the Black Panther Party had started. A big issue during the 16s, uh, the 60s rather, was obviously civil rights. The African American population had been and is still struggling against systemat uh, systematic racism. They saw the dis disproportionate patrolling of black neighborhoods by police as an intentional attempt to keep the African American communities poor and crime, crime riddled. In doing this, police ended up murdering, abusing, and wrongfully arresting black people, so the Black Panthers in uh, invented policing the police. They started in Oakland in 1966 by Huey P. Newton and Bobby Seale. Their mission was to change police brutality and improve their communities. They would challenge police brutality and keep an eye on the police's interaction with the black community. With their black berets and black uh, leather jackets, the, the Black Panthers looked and were quite serious. Armed citizen patrols were dispatched to neighborhood in Oakland and other cities. They were formed in a response to the murder of Matthew Johnson in San Francisco, a black man shot and killed by police, and the assassination of Malcolm X, among many, many, many others. And uh, brutality against black people had always been kind of this raging bull. But, like, like gun control, tragedy would strike and people would seek change, but it seems that the more rights that black people, like, wanted, like, they never got. So guns, at this point, are like, like, that's why gun rights is such a weird thing to say, is like, Black people were just asking for their rights, but it's like, nah, guns though. Um, and so, uh, uh, like, I don't know. It's 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 kind of a difficult thing to really discuss, and it's super nuanced. Um, but essentially, the Black Panthers wanted legislation against the tragedies that were occurring, and and in the '60s, were pretty vocal about their needs, and. Uh, their way of keeping police from overstepping was, you know, cop watching or, you know, as I said, policing the police. And these legally educated, rebellious, and well-armed Black Panthers really freaked out the police, white supremacists, and the NRA. So with the NRA, the California legislator began building laws that would disarm the Black Panthers, who were very good at lawfully carrying with their weapons openly. And so this is like, white people were like, we need our guns. We need to have our guns. We should be able to carry them wherever the fuck we want to. Black people are like, you know what? I think I think we should carry guns too. Yeah, I like that idea. I like that idea. It's pretty cool. It's a pretty that's, cool idea. Yeah. Good one there. Huh? Yeah. I'm gonna follow oh, suit. Yeah, that's why that's why people listen to you because we don't have any and you do. So let's just let's just balance it out and everyone's gonna get along. <laughs> yeah, <bro. laughs> you know? It's like, well, if they can do it, yeah. we can do it too. Yeah. You know, like this 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 is pretty easy. Yeah, it makes sense. Damn. Yeah. Well, and again, there's like very little like gun laws in California yeah, at the yeah. time too, so it's, it's made even easier. 
And so the Mulford Act was introduced April 5th, 1967 by California, uh, California Democrat Don Mulford. Almost a month later on May 2nd, 1967, armed Black Panthers went to the Capitol building to protest the gun restrictions. In much the same fashion as January 6th, 1921, 1921 rather, the Black Panthers enter into the legislative building dis disrupting the consideration of the Mulford Act, the bill that made the carrying of open firearms illegal in California. And I'm going to quote from the Atlantic here, quote, <clears throat> 24 men and six women climbed on uh, climbed the Capitol steps and one man, Bobby Seale, began to read a, uh, from a prepared statement. Uh, and this is them quoting him. The American people in general and the black people in particular, he announced, must take careful note of racist California legislature aimed at keeping the black people disarmed and the powerless black people have begged, prayed, petitioned, demonstrated, and everything else to get this racist power structure of America to right the wrongs which have been historically been perpetuated against black people. The time has come for black people to arm themselves against this terror before it is too late. Seal then turned to the others. All right, brothers, come on, we're going inside. He opened the door and the radicals walked straight into the state's most important government building, loaded guns in hand. No metal detectors stood in their way. Yeah, pretty cool. Yeah, that's, I remember hearing about, it was actually, what is it, 2021? It had to be 2016 when I first heard about that. It was like an NPR documentary. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wait, wait, what happened up here? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I was like, what? <laughs> you know, and I was like, oh, okay. And about yeah, like you said, they were already on trying to get the trying to strip them from it, you know. Yeah, and it, it had nothing to do with people in California owning guns. It had specifically everything to do with black people deciding yep. that they wanted to own guns. Yeah, and being able to carry them in the streets and and uh, you know it's it, it's it's interesting because it's this game of like we want to play fair and then the rules change. Yeah, and it's always been that you know, and so. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to use uh, I'm going to talk a little bit more from the Atlantic here about some of the Black Panthers grievances against the power structure. Uh, quote, opposition to gun control is what drove the black militants to visit the California Capitol with loaded weapons in hand. The Black Panther Party had been formed six months earlier in Oakland by Huey Newton and Bobby Seale. So it's six months that it takes. Like many uh, young African Americans, Newton and Seale were frustrated with the failed promise of, of the civil rights movement. Brown versus Board of Education, the Civil Rights Act of 1964, and the Voting Rights Act of 1965 were legal landmarks, but they had yet to deliver uh, equal opportunity. In Newton and Seale's view, the only tangible outcome of the civil rights movement had been more violence and oppression, uh, much of it committed by the very entity meant to protect and serve the public, the police. End quote. All in all, six Black Panthers were arrested, their attempt failed, and the arrested members pled guilty to disrupting a legislative session. Ronald fucking Reagan, California's governor at the time, signed the Mulford Act on July 26, 1967, successfully disarming not just the Black Panthers, but all California citizens from openly carrying loaded firearms in public. And as I said, the NR fucking A supported this from history.com, quote, in contrast to the NRA's rigid opposition to gun controls in today's America, the organization fought alongside the government for stricter gun reg regulations in the 1960s. This was part of an effort to keep guns out of the hands of African Americans as racial tensions in the nation grew. The NRA felt especially threatened by the Black Panthers, whose well-photographed carrying of uh, weapons in public spaces was entirely legal in the state of California, where they were based. So, 
Yay. Yeah, of course. Thanks, Reagan. We get yeah. Ronald Reagan and the NRA to... Well, even if they... Let's say someone could somehow magically prove. They were like, yeah, uh, part of the theme of the founding NRA was like... They were like, yeah, let's, let's get four slave guns. Fuck that shit. Yeah. But regardless, if let's say that was true 100% somehow. I, I don't know. You know no, let's, let's say it is. Let's just say it is. Yeah. Um, what it became and who ended up running it was not under the same mindset. No, <laughs> you know what I mean? So regardless sure. yeah. of how it started, you know what I mean? That's just a fun fact. But in the end... You know, we, you just you just told us how it played out. Yeah, you know? and and you know, as I mentioned earlier, like they're really complicated, and you know, we think about the end game of like gun laws as like a gun grab thing, um, but there's a lot of nuance in it, and I think, you know, we should have a responsibility and like a we should have a responsible and honest conversation about guns, and you know, as we as I mentioned at the top of the show, you know, there there are these insanes that we need to worry about first. Uh, and stopping them from getting guns is like the foremost attention I think we should pay when it comes to the discussion of guns. Yeah. Um, well, see, I bet back in the, I mean, I'm just making assumptions here. I bet back in the day, a lot of times what they considered insane was like just obviously like you can't give that fucker a gun. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, by the standards of like, let's say 1960, whatever, let's just round up to 1970, like around that same time period. I mean, things were a little bit different on what you could yeah. consider stable or not, or what was considered obvious or not. Yeah, mental health wasn't even a thing. Yeah, you so, know, it's, it was, yeah. I mean, I understand that theme, but if we just go a little deeper into today's point, dude, what what is mental health? Maybe yeah. you, we could start labeling all kinds of people who shouldn't have a gun. Yeah. So, I mean, back then it seemed very clear to me. That's what I imagined was like, yeah, the crazy guy obviously can't have a gun. Yeah. Uh, in the 70s, it was probably still very similar. It's like, yeah, obviously the crazy guy can't have a gun. So, I mean, that only did so much. You saw it. So, I mean, when it comes to legislation, how much does it actually do? You saw it. It helps, it, but crime was going down anyway. Yeah. So. I mean, for a, t- for a good amount of time, uh, you couldn't drink out of the same water fountain <laughs> yeah. as, as yeah. somebody else. So I'm not surprised they had some ideas about weapons. You yeah. know what I mean? Where it's just like, fuck, you know, like, yeah. holy shit. Yeah. And so. You know, since we've dug in our heels about, like, the right to own guns, which I, I fully support, I think nationally we need to look at, like, mental health and the ideological underpinnings of some of these gun purchases. And I think the 1917 California gun law had a good line that represents who we want to have guns. We want the person with the gun to be, quote, of good moral character. And I think it's important that those people that we give, that, that the, the people that have guns, I think the most important thing about that is like we want mentally sound healthy people people of good moral character involved and and that's why i kind of think the the discussion of guns should always be this open conversation we should discuss the ramifications between you know mental health insanity and the responsible gun ownership yeah i mean the thing is that we all know none of us got it right i mean no one wants no, no guns no one wants Obviously, like you know, eighteen fifties California, fucking same. They were like, we don't want everyone to have. Guns. I don't want my crazy. daughter to get shot with a gun. No, not at all. <laughs> you know what I mean? This shit's crazy. There's too many crazy people out here. Times are hard. You know. Yeah. Um, too much legislation or legislation is like, you know, trying to treat symptoms. You're not getting to the mm-hmm. root of the problem. Yeah. And yeah. honestly, it's like, I don't know what the fucking answer is. None yep. of us do. But some idea is somewhat right or will somewhat help. But in the end. It's kind of like we've seen so far based off his story, simple legislation doesn't work. So if yeah. legislation is going to yep. work, what would work? You know, like how do you 
what would you think, just based off what you're What would work as far as paperwork, you know? I mean, I don't really want to get too far into it, but I think that uh, the analysis of one's mind and, and, as I said, like their ideological character is important. I think that if you dehumanize a certain group of people, it's uh, you probably shouldn't own a gun. If you, for instance, think the hard J Jews are bad, probably shouldn't own a gun. Not that you can't have your beliefs. And so it becomes like this really like, this really strong gray, gray area because like, if you don't like Jewish people or the religion of Judaism, does that stop you from owning a gun? If you don't, for that's instance, want to hang out with black people, but you don't care, you're gonna, not particularly racist. Should, like, should that's where the story becomes really nuanced. And I think much more about like mental health and like the way you view ideologically other people with and in when we analyze ideologies, we can't put people into a box. We have to understand them thoroughly. We can't say you and then put a label on them. You are this kind of person now. Like we have to truly understand them. And so it becomes something that I'm not really comfortable with, like getting fully into because I don't have any answers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Be an interesting questionnaire for buying a gun. Yeah. Oh, you like to purchase this? Please fill out what this form real quick. What do you think about the Jews? And, yeah. <laughs> How do you feel about the Jews? How do you feel about colored people? How do you feel about this? And it's just yeah. like, and it's like, if how you, are you answer gonna... these questions wrong? I'm sorry. And how? Are you, yeah, like again, it's, it just becomes far more nuanced than I'm willing to discuss here. But that's all I have tonight, guys. Uh, so, how are y'all feeling about California's racist gun laws? Man, I mean, you surprised? Uh, a little bit, but at the same time, it's kind of like, yeah, of course it stemmed from bullshit. Yeah. yeah, I mean, of course, of course. It's just, all right, so like you said, to begin with, it started with Asian immigrants. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Then it becomes whatever's next, black people, you know? Yeah. So if those are the There's basic, a lot of natives in there, too. Yeah, yeah, a lot of natives. <laughs> and that seems to be the premise of most gun control laws in California right now. So it's like, it's it's definitely racist, but at the same time, there were some valid points as far as like, we uh, should we don't keep crazy people, people from getting shot in the street. Yeah, get shot in the streets and shit. But it, it makes you want to be like, oh, fuck all gun laws. But at the same time, there's there's got to be some regulation. I, I feel like it. <clears throat> I guess to a degree, I'm not surprised at how far uh, gun rights have come since they've started. Mm-hmm. And we go back to the Second Amendment with the right to bear arms. If you have to put into your constitution that you have the right. Mm-hmm. Then of course there's going to be regulations that they'll and then ensue. There's going to be subcategories because they had to put it yeah. in there to begin with. In a national constitution, they're like, "Oh yeah, we need to address the guns." Well, that means there's already a problem. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like somebody's out there, like, "I don't think we should have guns," and that, and they're like, "No, no." You have the right to have a gun. Well, then after that, you're going to only have critique on how much you can have a gun. Yep. You know, so it's like, how far is it going to go, and where is it going to stem from? Well, why? Why can we? Oh, well, at this point in time, it's because of this. Well, now it's because of the blacks. Well, now it's because that you know, and now it goes through all these demographical changes throughout society, where it's like, but the gun rights and stuff like that, and it's. If guns weren't ever a problem, and I think that's where I'm really trying to move back <laughs> guns to. Guns weren't ever a problem. I think it's just, just <laughs> yeah, to be yeah. like... Native Americans I mean, would be I'm, a lot. Like, I'm not... You know, right to bear arms, fist yeah, up. Yeah. yeah, like, cool. Like, all right, everybody's... You know, you got your freedoms and stuff. But if we didn't ever have to even put it in the books, it means it wasn't ever a problem. If if, yeah. if we didn't have to put it in our constitution, like, you actually... No, oh, no, check it out. You do have the right to have that gun. Yes. 
because you're already afraid to have it to begin with. I'm sorry. No, no, you're cool. You can, walk around you with it. You're all good. And then after a while, they're like, okay, well, walk around with it, but not in the city. Okay, well, okay. And it's yeah. like, well, apparently these things were already kind of had some subject of, uh, like... Subject of sensitivity. They're yeah. Like, people were like, just, I don't know about that. Like, hey, we're going to start a new nation and all this stuff. And we got the food. We got the supplies. Everybody's bringing building materials and that. And then one guy was like, what about the guns? And they were like, oh, oh. um... We've got guns. Okay, I I know there's a couple folks that aren't really comfortable with the guns, but I think we need them, and let's let's put it to a vote. Let's let's put that in there. And then after I bet a while, they were happy just to have like the Spanish galleons with like the sixty two like cannons on their on their ships. I'm sure, I'm glad that they were just like happy to have those out there. Like, yeah, guns, sure, yeah, that's fine as long as they're not cannons. Like, I just feel good. like even the pilgrims cool. when they're coming over with their like muskets and stuff like that just to shoot oh, yeah, animals definitely. to eat, yeah. you know, and stuff like that. They're like, yeah, I know we need them to eat, but does he need them? Yeah, you know, like that they were still the questioning question. the dude with the gun that's like feeding. The village, if you will, and stuff like that. But they're like, yeah, but he's just a little. And off, that's what I was know? saying about like the Chinese know. question, where it's like, if you have to ask about the blank kind of person question, you're already, you're in the wrong. Yeah, you are so in the wrong. I'm just like, ah, it's, it sounds like these things are just stem from like, I don't know, a lot of just like. It sounds like when guns were invented, they just went south real quick. They like, they did not go up at all. They were like, there's a lot of benefits from this. And a lot of mayhem as well. But, you know, if we can learn how to use it right, just don't let the evil go to the wrong hand hey, or the power go to the wrong hands. Hey, you, know, you, like. you want to shoot birds in these bushes here in the middle of town square? You want to do it? Anyway. Well, I've got a short analogy because it's hard to sum up how I feel because I like people having a bunch of guns, but at the same time, as you see, there's a bunch of problems. There was a problem to fucking begin with. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I guess the analogy is, I don't know, I don't know if I can say I agree with California's gun laws, but to a degree... You can't hate on the root of them too much. To agree. Let's just say that's right. Well, we can hate on the racist root. You can hate on the racist root, but let's just say the result is, let's say it is better for people not to have guns. Yeah. It might have a bad root, but it doesn't mean in the end right now it doesn't have some benefit. And the only analogy I can really think of is uh, something I heard uh, Thomas Sowell uh, speak of on one of his interviews. Um, I, I can't quite say the accuracy to his history, but in short, he was like, all right, we'll look at it this way. Um, when the Romans came to uh, what we considered like you know Britain now and took it over, and when they finally left basically and got kicked out or whatever, uh, Roman Empire fell, there was a bunch of uh, basically technology. Uh, they trained a bunch of the locals, all this stuff. So uh, compared to the, everyone else around those islands, when they left, they were able to take over some of the best technology around and were able to flourish and take over the rest. Mm. So it comes from a bad thing, but in the end... Once the bad thing left, they were left with some good shit. Some good shit, yeah. yeah, yeah so yeah, maybe, gotcha. let's say the gun laws are right. I don't know. I don't know if I agree. But if that's the case, then, I mean, the bad the bad reasons they got here, yeah. you've got to look at it, talk about it, discuss it. But you've just got to look past it if you believe this is the answer. You can't focus on yeah, that. Yeah, idea you know? that you're well, trying to take something and use it the right way yeah, and stuff. Know. Well, yeah. and, and I think I want to end on the note that... I think we can all agree that guns are dangerous and we need to be mindful of who possesses and owns them. Um, but nobody, at least here in this room, and anybody that I'm fully aware of, wants any, but like doesn't, that wants to take anybody's guns. And I so since we have to close this out. Yeah, I don't think guns should be 
like what you're saying, it should be based on more on a mental ownership and stuff yeah. like that, not based on race or ethnicity or yep. anything else. A person's a person's a person. Yep. Like, you, you want to have a gun, you want to like have them. a gun and stuff like that. Let's make sure you're like mentally able to yep. have a gun. Well, with that, Alex, we normally end the show in plugs, but I don't know if you want to plug yourself. If you want people to find you on the internet, internet. no pun intended. No, my name's Richard. His name's Richard, yeah. Alex, Michael, Douglas. And uh, by the way, if you're Richard, whatever I just said, and you end up getting a lot of friend requests because of this, shoot us an email. I want to I wanna hear about your experience. Oh, hell yeah. Definitely. But uh, I want to say thank you, Alex, for being on here. Thank you for letting me come yeah, on. I appreciate it. it. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, uh, I'm really glad that you got to be on for this specific episode, too, because I think it's very absurd and fun. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Sean, thank you, as always, for being the oh, yeah. co-host and uh, producer man. And uh, you listeners, you can find us now on Spotify. This is Season 6, Episode 8. Uh, you can find us on Spotify, CastBox. Uh, there's, like, Google Podcasts. There's, like, half a dozen others. But you guys can find us everywhere now. And I've uh, uploaded everything, so all of our previous episodes are available, and this one will be available soon. So uh, can't wait to talk at you guys, and uh, be safe and love each other. Peace! <laughs>